So you're All saying right. like stranding me in Malta like it's a bad thing. Like that <laughs> would be friggin' awesome. <laughs> well, I didn't think you'd argue too much. <laughs> Look, if people want to pay to get me to Malta, that's fine. <laughs> if people want me off the off the show that badly. <laughs> <laughs> no one hey, you can st- like technically you can probably record in Malta. I imagine they have passable Wi-Fi. <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that wants to board your arc. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. Uh, no Richard this morning. Uh, we are hoping to have him on later in the show, but we are going to carry on without him for the time being. Uh, and uh, yes, as we talked about last episode, we said this was going to be our look at the Arcs of Omen Angron book, because we learned our lesson to not try to cover two books in one episode. So we're gonna do that this time, and uh, this oh, is we're gonna, gonna be look at all... two books this time. What? We're gonna look at we're... two books this time. Is that what we're doing? A book no. and a data slate that's different. Oh. Well, I mean, the data slate is uh, yeah. I don't count the data slate as a book, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves. But as always, we're gonna start off with news and new releases, and uh, there's been a lot that has happened over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, but the first thing I want to talk about is something a little bit closer to home. And uh, I think I may have mentioned it in a past episode, but if I haven't or if you've missed it, somebody who uh, we have worked with in the past, uh, uh, David Komen, uh, who ran a paint studio called Invested Painting and was also running Horace Heresy narrative events. He ran the Horace Heresy narrative event at... Uh, Midwest Conquest 2019, and I believe he was starting to run them at either like LVO or Adepticon. Like, yeah, he was really getting active in that scene and fantastic guy. Like, he was one of the first ones to volunteer to paint up like really high quality paint job nights to like uh, raffle off for charity. Like, I've n- like all the times I interacted with him, he was always fantastic. And everyone I know who's who knew him uh, has, you know, had nothing but great things to say about him he tragically passed away suddenly in early december and it it was a real shock because like like he got engaged like a week or so before and he was at a uh special or he was at an event with his uh fiance uh there they took a picture together and then she posted like a few minutes later he was gone uh it was later determined that he died of uh a sudden like surprise coronary like he had a heart like one of those like widow style heart attacks uh, and they found out later he had an enlarged heart and uh it was a big shock especially to the community in like texas and oklahoma because he had just he had recently moved in like the last like i think in 2019 he was moving to texas like he was in yeah. the middle of moving down to like denton texas but he was still very active like we first ran into him at uh, iron halo um, and of course, like I said, you know, like I've, you know, saw him at Flying Monkey. He ran events for us at Midwest Conquest. And so 
another mutual friend of ours, uh, Mike J. O'Brien, uh, he's in Oklahoma, fantastic painter. Uh, in fact, he painted a number of the models for, it was either 2018 or 2019, the uh, mechanic, I think it was 2018, the Mechanicus Army. Because we did a Mechanicus and a Custodes armies for raffle, and he painted up uh, the Belisarius call and a few other models for the uh, for that Mechanicus army, and I did my best to mimic his style on uh, other models that we added to that. Uh, but Mike reached out to us and said he wanted to do something to raise money for the Komen family. So to do that, he is holding the David Komen Memorial Night Joust. This is going to be April 22nd at 12 p.m. at a, a game store called Edmund Unplugged in Edmond, Oklahoma. And we'll have links to all the information on this on our uh, on the show notes. And we'll we'll post that on uh, our Facebook page as well. Uh, entry fee is $10. There are 30 spots available. And it's standard uh, night joust uh, material. You bring one Chaos or Imperial Knight under 500 points. And we're ba- they're basically going to joust them until there is one winner remaining. Food and drink will be available on the site. And I imagine they'll be taking other donations to help the family out as well. Um and in fact, they did specify beer is available on site. That's always, you know, we've talked about beer hammer last episode. So yes, for the, and night jousts are like the epitome of casual fun events. So, yeah. um, now nah, this is for a great cause to remember somebody who was, it, you know, whose, whose loss is closely felt in the community. Yeah. So basically there's going to be, yeah. Each player will have three command points spent on warlord traits and relics, no stratagems. Uh, there's no changing choices between matches once you've got your loadouts locked in. All matches will be played on two-foot-by-four-foot jousting lanes with a single piece of <laughs> line-of-sight blocking train in the middle of the table that allows passing lanes. So it is going to be the most jousty of night jousts. <laughs> uh, there will be match scoring. Uh, every match will have a 30-minute time limit, which is definitely better than... Uh, than the like multi-hour free-for-alls we've had with night jousts but uh all all matches will have a 30 minute time limit six rounds to determine the champion and then after the tournament there will be the ma- the mega free-for-all battle just for fun if you win if you are the tournament champion you walk away with a new bo- with a brand new knight in the box uh, and a plaque. Second place will get a plaque. Mega Battle Champ gets a pair of armagers and a plaque. And it wouldn't be a common event if there wasn't an award for Best Painted. Best Painted gets a plaque and the Golden Bob Ross Award. Um, so, yeah, we'll have all the information f- about this on... Uh, we'll share it to our Facebook. We will have it in the show notes. Uh, if you are in that area and if you ha- are, have an Imperial Knight uh, or a Chaos Knight, definitely check this out. And uh, and they even say if you don't own a knight, they'll have a couple of uh, knights to to loan out. Um, so yeah, because everyone, yeah, David was really he was really into horse heresy and knights, and he painted fantastic looking knights. So this is a great way Absolutely. to remember to remember him. So yes, please check this event out. Uh, preferred enemy seal of approval on this one. If if I was able to be in Oklahoma at that time because unfortunately that is the day right between my daughter and my partner's birthday so i don't think i'll be able to make it down there in time but if you can go i i I highly recommend it it'll be a great time for a great cause 
All right. Uh, now, moving on to more general 40K news, I think the biggest thing that was announced over the last couple of weeks was price increases. Basically, Games Workshop is saying that due to inflation, which I think the UK has something like about a 10% inflation rate right now, because mm-hmm. between the global inflation and Brexit, like things have, have been rough in, in the UK a little bit. I don't think anyone would argue that. They are going to have to increase costs. Um, they're saying this is going to be a roughly 6% increase. So they're trying to keep it under the actual like current inflation rate, but it is going to hit a lot of products. So, uh, things that are changing, uh, the cost of basically almost all the plastic miniature kits, uh, Forge World and, uh, and Citadel Resin, i.e. fine cast miniatures. Uh, their standard brushes, their artificer level brushes. So anything that uses like natural hair fiber, uh, and their mm-hmm. cans of spray paint, these will all be going up. Um, and what is not changing is starter sets, which unfortunately, from what I've been able to determine, does not include combat patrols. It is specifically like command edition, elite edition, those, those yeah. starter sets. Uh, paint sets, paint pots, hobby tools, codexes, rule books, and their synthetic brushes. Those are not changing in price. I believe a set of like upcoming prices has been leaked. Uh, I want to say if you go check out the Auspex Tactics YouTube channel, they did a, a breakdown on like what is going up the most and what is what is not, um, like you know where different products are falling in that range, and some of them are def- are coming in at, at definitely under a six percent increase. So that's an average. So don't just take a kit and add six percent of it. A lot of them are coming in at like a two or three percent. Some of them are coming in at a ten percent increase. So. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. Price increases happen from time to time. It sucks. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Uh, you know, it it's especially you know when everybody's dollar is not going as far as it used to. It does hurt when your hobby dollar doesn't go as far as it used to. And I've yeah. seen some people saying like, "Well, that's it. GW doesn't doesn't want your money anymore. They're 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 pricing you out of the hobby." Uh, which we've heard how many times over the last 11 years we've been doing this show? I mean, every time they change, every time they release a new kit or change a price, it people claim that. Like, that's not to dismiss it. Obviously, there is a point where, you know, this will impact sales if they keep doing it. Like, I, I think they're trying to be smart by not doing it on, like, some of the more essential parts of it, like the paint sets, you know, the, the rules and, like, the starter sets. But, I mean, this is just the reality of the world we live in right now. The economic reality of the world post-COVID is that things cost more. Now, is that a cover for companies trying to gouge more profits? In some cases, potentially. I don't know if that's the case here or not. Like, I'm not going to sit here and defend a multi-million dollar corporation for price increases. Um, no, but it is, but it is the way of the world right now. Like, yeah, it's like the the only, yeah, the only information I have is what they have publicly stated and what prices Mm -hmm. have come out. I will say I appreciate them giving everyone like over a month's warning. Yes. Because now, granted, that also helps move kits. Let, you know, let's remember this is a corporation that is trying to make money. So if you are wanting to move kits before a price increase prices them out for people, you give people warning. So they some, they will go and try to buy up stuff before they can't, you know, before yeah. it becomes pricier than they want to get. Uh, so 
I, I again, like, I'm kind of with you. I'm not going to defend them. I will say this is pretty standard operating procedure. I do appreciate them giving the warning. Oh, I, I think the biggest takeaway that I have for this compared to like just other price increases is the communication's a lot better. They're not targeting specific markets with it. Like, cause I'm, we all remember the Australian exterminatus. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, they're being, they're being more transparent with this. It still sucks, but like, I feel better when a company at least tries to be transparent and not, you know, not hide their changes, um, and then just drop them on the public. So, uh, you know, it sucks, but at least this is probably the best way that you could handle something like this. Right. And I've seen people saying the response is, well, we should just start 3D printing everything now. It's like people are already doing that. It's like, yeah, now, just now. And <laughs> I've also seen somebody say, like, I was going to get into 3D printing because it was supposed to save me from spending like $300 on an army. And people just laughed because it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it turned into like a $2,000 hobby. It's like, yeah, 3D I, printing I will- is not a magic army box. It's not. Yeah, yeah I, I will. I will say it again louder for the people in the background. 3D printing is its own hobby, and it is just as expensive as playing 40K. Like, (laughs) I love it. I love 3D printing, but you're not going to save money with it. (laughs) It's like once you get the, like, the settings dialed in and you get, like, everything set up, yeah, over time, you probably will save money. But, like, if if all you're doing is, like, well, now I'm just – they made the game too expensive now, so now I'm going to pirate their stuff. It's like, well, that's kind of a shitty take, you know, like that's. Yeah. Now, that said, I also draw a line between piracy and proxying. And there's a lot of counts as models out there that are really nice that 3D designers are doing. And if you want to do that instead, I think that's fantastic as long as, you know, there's the expectation that it's like, yeah, you're not going to be able to play it like an official games workshop event. Like, and when I say official, I mean one they run. So you won't be yeah. able to play at a GW store. You won't be able to play at the US Open. You won't be able to play at Warhammer World or anything like that. But if you're fine with that, if you're a, a garage player or you play in like GTs that don't, ca- you know, as long as you get your proxies approved, they're fine. It's like, go for it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say you shouldn't make a 3D printed army. Just don't look yeah. at it as the way to save money on the game because it's it not. Yeah. Now, with all of that said, what do I think we can do as a community to kind of mitigate the cost for this? And I like I've seen some, but I like I saw one person comment when we shared this post that's like, well, I haven't bought anything in three or four upgrade, you know, three or four price increases. And it's like, cool story, bro. Uh, that's great. And if you already have models, cool. Yeah. You know, seriously, it's like if you don't feel the need to buy anything, don't, you know. Just like we've told you, if you want to play 7th edition and you have books and you have somebody who will play it with you, go for it. You know, that's fine. But what, you know, for people moving forward, what can we do? And I think one thing we could do as a community, which and also something that is actively supported by Games Workshop that people tend to just completely disregard, at least in the American competitive scene, and and which then kind of spills over into what the casual scene looks like for a lot of people is maybe it's time to move away from the 2,000-point game and move down to the 1,000-point game where... Nah, now you're pro- talking crazy. I, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I have, you know, it's, I remember when, remember when we talked about, like, backing events from 2,000 down to, like, yeah. 1,750, and we got oh, yeah. 
we got nasty pushback. Or like people are like, yeah, I just won't play. I'll just walk away and go to a different event. It's like, really? Yeah. That 250 points makes that big a difference? And I know people like to play with their toys and they like to have as many toys as possible. And they also like to have as many things to fill as many holes in their army, like so that competing is easier. But I think it may be time to start seriously looking at thousand point events because yeah. the Games Workshop provides rules for them. They're, like you go to the Arcs of Omen chapter approved, there's a whole section of missions specifically for thousand point games. It is absolutely, you know, it is right there. And so like that would be a really good standard point because that's two combat patrols. Like you buy, like most of the combat patrols come in at, you know, one, around 500 points or so. Double up on one of those or that and a couple other kits. And suddenly, like if you can field a thousand point list, now you can play, you could have events that are geared towards thousand point. Do you want to do escalation leagues and maybe eventually get up to 2000? Sure. But let's find a way to lower the bar of entry. And maybe allow people's wallets to stretch a bit further. I'll also say a lot of games that are coming out right now, and not just from like GW, but like in the mini wargaming market, are leaning more towards either skirmish or smaller, like that that spot between skirmish and company. Yeah, like uh, Star Wars Legion actually comes in at a little bit less than a thousand point game, like their and their standard game size. And again, I don't, I know the points aren't going to be like one to one different game systems, but like their games come in at about eight hundred points. Bolt action games are usually around a thousand points, which feels like roughly a thousand points of Games Workshop miniatures, honestly. Yeah. Um, I mean, even one page rules the way they point their stuff. What would be a two thousand point list in one page rules tends to work out to around a thousand points of GW models. Uh, people, a lot of people are looking for those smaller games where they can be played faster. They're a little less not as they have less fewer moving parts. I don't want to say they're necessarily less complex because the gameplay can still be complex. But when you're dealing with just a smaller unit pool on the table at any given time, there's fewer decisions you have to make and then it allows the game to move faster so yeah Rob, I, mean, I, I know this little small game it's called boarding actions it's only mm-hmm. 500 points and it's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, I think it's interesting is you're seeing in the tabletop space and and not just in you know tabletop uh war games but just the tabletop space in general you're seeing a move towards quicker games like with, you know, fifth edition, with Pathfinder, with some of these other games, the idea is like, you can sit down and you can play for two hours and you can get something done. You know, when you, when you jump in to do, you know, a, a fight in D and D, it's not going to take three hours. It's not an all day thing. You can actually, you know, set it up and run it for a couple hours and then be on your way. And I think like, if there's a way that we could get games workshop games, you know, 40k games to, be able to reasonably be concluded in like a two hour time limit that imagine all of the things that that opens up from an event planning standpoint, you can do four games instead of three. If you wanted to, you could do three games and have space in between for other events. You know, it just, it taking the time to like make the game go faster is, you know, is something that's just going to benefit the entire hobby. Um, And then you can still play your larger games if you want to, but you know, I think moving the standard down to a smaller, quicker game would would certainly be helpful. And Kevin, 
this is this is not something just as a, a 40k thing you can look at it in other games like i remember back in college we had games that we'd play like talisman and, and risk mm-hmm. and axis and allies that took a day or two to play and so a For three sure. hour 40k game well oh that that's short but Board games and stuff, like you said, the table, but even board games are going for like that 20 minute to an hour for yeah. the quick board games now. And it even goes far. I'll still say sports. Baseball's looking Ooh. at putting in the pitch clock for the, for the pitchers to try and speed up Absolutely. the games. So everywhere Ooh. is looking to try and make things faster. And, and this is always the, like everyone who knows I'm a huge soccer fan. That's always been my pitch for soccer. It's like, 90 minutes in and out time timer's done at the end of it. Like, boom, that's it. You know? Um, so yeah. Well, like what about it's, stoppage time. Well, but sure. Unless it's the world cup, they're not adding like more than like five minutes, but no, but like, that's the thing. It's like, here's the time limit. It's 90 minutes plus, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes extra for halftime and stoppage. That's it. You're done. How long does, you know, the super bowl actually, this year's super bowl actually went pretty quick. Go chiefs. But uh, <laughs> that was mostly because, like, the last, like, five minutes of the game was just, like, kneel downs. You know, the last two minutes of the game actually took two minutes as opposed to 20. You know, an NFL game, especially a Super Bowl, could take close to four hours, you know, with all the pomp and circumstance. So, like, yeah, having uh, – you're seeing a tendency for events to be quicker, snappier, better paced, take less time. And I, I think 40K is going to need to address that at some point. And, and as you mentioned – they are addressing it with things like Kill Team, with games like Warcry and Underworlds and, you know, things like boarding actions. But they're going to need to address it at some point in the core 40k game. And maybe maybe that's the big change that comes in 10th edition. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the one of the rumors that's been bandied about for 10th edition is that it is going to follow, you know, focus on smaller armies. And I, I if that's true, I'm here for it. Yeah. Because I would like to be able to play, you know, faster games. But sometimes, like, by the time I can get to my local store, like, during the week, you know, I you know I work until 5 p.m. I'd like to have dinner yeah. with my family. By the time I can get to the store, there's maybe, like, two hours left until the store closes. I can't get a game in in that time. Mm-hmm. Not at a 2,000-point level. And, and that's assuming that we I could start the game as soon as I get there. And there's going to be setup, like finding my opponent, you know, talking through like what mission are we going to do, stuff like that. It's like that's going to take time. So being able to get in like a game in like an hour or so, that sounds fantastic. And if that means I have to play a small army, I play a small army. But it's also a way to mitigate the cost of both getting into the game, getting into a new army. Like, hey, if you want to get into a new army, it's a lot less cost and it takes a lot less building and painting if you're building half the size of a force than you would if you were playing at like what is standard right now. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. It's one of the things that killed Warhammer fantasy was the fact that the, the cost of entry and the scale of game was too large. But the irony here is we are actually have a, a game that can support smaller levels of play and people are in many ways choosing not to do it. And that's like, <laughs> But it, we could. It's all right there. You don't even have to, like, hack it. It's there. Yeah. They've presented it to you. So that's my argument is if you, you know, if you still want to play 40K, but the cost is going up, maybe the answer is to buy less and play smaller games. And Games Workshop will also notice that as well. So that is a way to send a message to Games Workshop saying, okay, if you're going to raise the price, we'll lower how much we're buying. And and again, I'm is not this, saying they're raising price out of malice, but it's like 
as consumers, we have the right to respond in kind. <laughs> Remind me when we get to Hobby Progress to not talk about all the kits I bought this weekend. <laughs> well, I mean, we've established you're, we, you have a mm-hmm. problem, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and not that I don't. <laughs> not that I don't, because I have like, I have at least two army projects on my shelves right now that are still, some of them are still in shrink wrap. Because I was like, I haven't even cracked the kits open. So, like, I, I have a problem, too. But it's like, <laughs> it, but, you know, I'm just saying, there's ways we can still play the game, but sure. also adjust the, our budgets without, you know, necessarily having to either go to, all the way to piracy or just suck it up and like, well, well, I guess this is just what we do now. And it benefits it benefits Games Workshop as well, because if they make the game quicker to play, cheaper to get into, more people will play it, and they will make more money. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> make You can literally make it up on volume. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all right. Moving on. Uh, the next thing that was released, and this one was also kind of a surprise, because uh, I... I did not expect this, and I was amused as hell because, hey, Kevin, Imperial Agents are back. Which is great. Like, uh, so <laughs> I, I will say this. I absolutely love that they are putting retirement dates on the narrative books. So it's like, no, this is the book. This is where the data sheet is. This is the active data sheet. You're, there's no confusion about... Am I using the War of the Spider version, or am I using an Index version, or am I using this, you know, White Dwarf update... I like that they're putting these out as, you know, this is the current one, the old one is gone, this is the source, that's great. I still I still have a kind of issue with, like, the Imperial Agent stuff just because it's not cohesive in any way. And, like, all of the pieces are there to, like, make a rule or make a way to be like, hey, let's just play this all as an army. And I don't know, they... they've. They steadfastly refuse to do that. Like, well, if you're going to do Battleforge, you can do one unit of this. You can add this. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I, I wish there was a more cohesive way to actually play these. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's just always been wishful thinking. And like the Inquisition stuff is never really going to be a playable force again like it was with the, uh, gosh, what was it? The Witch Hunters Codex? Witch yeah. Hunters and Demon Hunters Codex? Maybe we're just never going to get that again. Um, which is fine. It just... I have, especially now, because of the kits I bought, um, you know, I have breachers, I have arbites or arbites or whatever the hell, which that's a whole other thing Arbites. can talk about in a moment. That's the thing we can talk about in a moment, because I got opinions. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant is not a word. Anyway, um, <laughs> the British will disagree with you. <laughs> well, we're here in, we're here in America and we speak America. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, 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 back to the Imperial Agents. I just wish there was a little bit more to it because I do think that this could be really fun, flavorful, thematic armies. And like, there's just not really a great way to like make it a cohesive army. And I just wish there was. But, you know, I don't know. That's maybe that's just never going to be a thing. Yeah. I mean, having an inquisitorial army is kind of considering the scale of like, you know, it's one Inquisitor, maybe a retinue. Yeah. You know, it's it makes sense for them to maybe accompany, like, a guard mm-hmm. or a Space Marine or a Grey Knight's army. It's like, that all makes sense. So, I do like being able to, to drop that in. And, like, they do give you the ability to drop in, um, like, 
Imperial Navy breachers, which I think is cool that they've made, mm-hmm. you know, 40k rules for those and for the rogue trader and the voidsman yeah. at arms. Although because of how like the Battle Brothers works in Arcs of Omen, like you can't because like theoretically, because what see the voidsman at arms are troops and the rogue trader is an HQ and they have the Navis Imperialis mm-hmm. keyword and same with the breachers. You could theoretically do a patrol detachment of Imperial like Imperial Navy, mm. but you can't actually attach it to an army. I don't think. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think so. Because at least not under Arcs of Omen, because the way that the they basically mentioned that you can take if your army is Battleforged, you can take one. Uh, you can include one agent of the Imperial. Oh, okay, actually, it one just unit on in if they each give the agents detachment. The yeah, one unit in each detachment. Mm, yeah, so in Arcs of Omen, that does limit you pretty pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be really hard to, like... It's going to be nice to be able to splash in, and I do like that they're at least supporting it. I just wish there was, like, a little bit more to it where you could actually, like, use use more of them. But, right. I mean, yeah, in, it is in what my it is. mind, Inquisitors are more your small force. I mean, they'll singly join a larger force as, mm-hmm. like, themselves. But if they're going to do something on their own with their own force, that's going to be a small group, not an army-wide thing. So I think sure. they kind of shine probably at the 500 point level which goes back to the smaller games yeah and this does actually make it does make inquisitors actually easy to add to a boarding patrol army and i think that was more the goal of this it partially was because like the octarius stuff was being retired and the uh and War of the Spider is retired now. We had kind of talked about that, that, you know, like these books are being retired. What happens to, to the data sheets and those? Well, now they've just made them, hey, a free download, which that is fantastic. Like they didn't mm-hmm. throw this into another, uh, another book or anything. They just made this a free download, which is something they could do all the time. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, like I, I, I do appreciate what they've done with this release and making it so that you can do boarding actions with these. Although I don't think you can do it with uh, Inquisitor Karamazov, seeing as he is a, he is a vehicle. But uh, but you could drop him <laughs> into a uh, Arcs of Omen army. But yeah, it's and, and I also do like that they did attach or they did they did address like patrol battalion brigade. So like they, they made sure that it's not just arcs of Omen. It's not just boarding patrol. It's for every format. So like if you're doing like crusade play and uh, you've got like, you're not using the arcs of Omen detachments, you can still use these rules with that. So like, yeah, they future proofed yeah. it, which is good. Yeah. So again, I like, I like free rules downloads. I like having, having things not tied to a retired narrative book. And I like the fact that they added uh, data sheets for some of the, like the newer stuff, like the Navy breachers. Uh, so it's like, I'm, I'm all for this. I think this was a, a good release. Uh, I am kind of sad that you can't do a, a full inquisition patrol detachment or a Naval patrol detachment, but you can do a boarding patrol Naval detachment. So that's cool. Uh, well, so actually I guess just as a cur- just as a question, because I hadn't really thought of this until this moment, I'm looking through the data sheets. So, Agents of the Imperium is a faction keyword. Could you build an Arcs of Omen detachment around that faction keyword? Uh, yes, actually, technically, hmm. you could. It is a faction okay. keyword. You wouldn't yeah. be, there's no one you would be able to ally in with it other than, well, a knight. You could depart a sure. knight or Votan. So, you huh. could do a Xenos, technically, you could do a Xenos uh, Inquisitor and. 
Yeah. Um, and agents of the Imperium are, so you could do like Navy breachers and voidsmen, uh, fill in some acolytes and things like that. And then have a, you know, if you can get that to 50, that's going to be the challenge is getting that to like enough yeah, points. Getting enough points. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, just one. Okay. That just was well, something I was thinking about because I was looking at that and I'm like, that is a faction keyword. So yeah. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, there's at least some the, options, but it's not ideal. <laughs> yeah, it's not ideal. It's not going to be competitively good, but I think mm. it, it could be fun to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not talking about this in any form of it being competitive. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. No, I, I'm glad they put it out there. I am, I am glad that, that it's out there. I do wish it was a little more cohesive or there was a little more oh, through line. Oh, wait. It's good. Okay, so the Navy Breachers and the Voidsmen at Arms do have a special rule called Shipborne Personnel. If your army's battleforged, this unit cannot be used as a compulsory selection in a detachment unless it's a Navis Imperialist detachment. So if you have a rogue trader mm. as your as your HQ, you can have them as a compulsory. However, with Arcs of Omen, you don't you need to make, have troops, yeah. Right. You could make elites your compulsory and ha- take acolytes. Hmm. As agents of the Imperium, and then still have troops, the Imperial Navy breachers, although because of the way the army building rules are set up, I don't think your troops get objectives secured because that's not mentioned in the... Yeah. Uh, in the, yeah, I wouldn't in think they would. Well, that's so. not an important rule. Nobody needs to control objectives. Nobody right? uses objectives. Exactly. What are you talking about? Exactly. Anyway, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they put this out, and I think there'll be some fun stuff with it, and it's nice to be able to splash those kill team units, you know, in here and there as needed, so. Yeah. So, you know, I do appreciate this release. I'm glad they did it. Um, so, I'm, you know, I, I'm fine with it. Yes, the army building options aren't extremely well-rounded, but they're there, so I appreciate that. Um, speaking about things you could build boarding patrols with, we also have um, some releases. None of these have gone up for pre-order yet as of this moment of recording, but they have announced them. Um, and that is a set of new boarding patrol boxes, which are basically similar to the combat patrols. They're all around 500 points because the idea is that you can basically build this and drop it into mm-hmm. a boarding patrol game. Um now, we already do have one for Space Marines, and it's $110. But uh, first, they announced that Tyranids, Necrons, and Grey Knights were going to be getting their own boarding patrols. And then they followed that up a week later with Gene Steeler Cults, Death Guard, Chaos Demons, and Mechanicus getting combat patrols. So, for example, the uh, Necron one is 10 Necron Warriors... 10 Lich Guard, who could also be built as Treyarch Praetorians, and then three Ophidian Destroyers. Uh, you'll notice there's no HQ, but again, being a boarding patrol, HQ is not required. Yep. Um, the uh, Tyranid ones is basically two squads of Tyranid Warriors, a squad of Gene Stealers, and a Broodlord, which seems very appropriate for like a Space Hulky kind of game. And then uh, the I really kind of dig the Grey Knights one. I'm sad Richard isn't here. Castle and Crow, five Terminators and ten, like a strike squad of ten, which can be built as interceptors, purifiers, or strike squads. I don't yeah. think they can be ba- created as purgation units because those are heavy support and not allowed in uh, in boarding patrol. But you could, I mean, if you're just buying this for the models, you could build them however you want. But uh, like those are. All of those are pretty decent, and if the price is 110 pre 
price increase. Although this, sure. I imagine these will probably come out at about like 120 if they come out after the price increase. Um, for 120, that's again, this is not a bad way to get 500 points. And honestly, like the Grey Knights one, this plus like their combat patrol is a really good way to get started with a Grey Knights army. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are good. And then um, the Mechanica, then the other batch, the Mechanicus one has a Tech Priest, Dominus, a unit of Skatari, either Rangers or Vanguard, however you want to build them, a unit of Sicarians, which can be built as Rust Stalkers or Infiltrators, and then a unit of Cataphrons, which can be Breachers or Destroyers. The uh, Chaos Demons one is all corn all the time, just like their Combat Patrol. So again, if you want to just this plus their Combat Patrol to get a thousand point army, um, you could do worse. Yeah. Because you get Karanak as a character, 10 Flesh Hounds and 10 Blood Letters. <laughs> so, I mean, that's... Let's see, how does that compare? Because there's a lot of overlap with their combat patrol, but then it, it's Corn Demons. There's not a lot of options anyway. Yeah, there's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because their combat patrol is 20 Blood Letters, a Herald on Foot, uh trio of br- Blood Crushers, and 10 more Flesh Hounds. So you'd end up with... 30, you'd end up with like one HQ, three troops, uh, and blood crushers are fast attack, I believe. So then you'd end up with like yes. three fast, or no, so you'd have two HQs, three troops, three fast attacks. That's not yeah. a bad start for a, uh, corn, corn demon army. Well, and that's, a, and that's a really good, uh, that's a really good patrol detachment to like include in a world leader's army as well. Yes. Like, so. You know, or or take those models and put them in the the uh, um, disciples of Angron army. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's see. And then the uh, Gene Stealer cults get a Keller morph, ten acolyte hybrids, which can also be built as metamorphs, and then an abominant and five aberrants. So they decide to go with some like heavy hitters and actually a couple of characters. And then finally, the Death Guard, we get the Lord of Virulence, who is the, uh, like, ranged attack plague spitter Terminator Lord, um, a unit of 10 Plague Marines, and then three Death Shroud Terminators. This one is at, like, I actually don't have any of the Death Shrouds. This one's for my Death Guard. If I didn't already have enough projects to work on, um, this one right. would, be, <laughs> would be a tempting pickup for me. Death Guard paint up pretty quickly. They do, they do. <laughs> That's a good one, and like I like that there's some variety in the sporting patrols as well because you've got, you know, like Death Guard. It's more heavier Terminator armor and slow. You know, I don't. Know, I just like the fact that there's a there's a good variety in these and what they pick for these uh, boarding patrols. So, mm-hmm. and I do like that there. You know, there's at least one that doesn't technically have an HQ because you don't need one. Mm-hmm. There's. Uh, I think there's two that have named characters because you've got Karanak and Castle and Crow, but then you've also got some that ha- have generic characters. You've got uh, a nice mix of stuff overall. Um, I actually don't dislike these. The, I think these are, are good alternatives. And again, nice 500 point entryways into the game. And, you know, minus the, the Necron one not having an HQ, which an HQ would be pretty easy to pick up and throw in. Um, again, this is also, it'd be a good uh, counterpart to like, if you bought uh, like one of the starter sets that have Necrons in mm-hmm. them and then this, it would pad that out nicely as well. So 
See, Rob, you just made me think of a crazy idea. What's your crazy idea, Dennis? Maybe later in the future of this year, when Eldar get their combat patrol, it'll be new striking scorpion figures with a new Phoenix Lord with them. Maybe. That is a pretty crazy idea, but I, I see where your hope is going. Yeah, and, and I could see striking scorpions in these hulks. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, they'd be fantastic for this format. So, uh, okay, hear that, yeah. GW? Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the the fourth book of Arcs of Omen, we know it's Xenos related, but we haven't seen who or what. So it's always possible. And it's definitely a, a plastic they haven't, you know, it's, a, it, it's one of those squads they haven't updated to plastic yet. And could definitely use it. So, yeah. I won't say it's impossible. <laughs> uh, moving on to the next bit of news, the Meta Watch. Uh, we had our f- first look at uh, the results of the Arcs of Omen changes. Like, you know, the Arcs of Omen season has started and they've been collating data from a whole bunch of games and determining win rates and things like that. And they said this is even even still with like, the few weeks it's been, it's been like thousands and thousands of games that they've logged data on. Which, because I imagine they have access. I'm sure they're working with Best Coast pairings to get that that data for like faction and win rate. Mm-hmm. But uh, they they kind of ran ran down the list, and most of the armies are hitting their sweet spot that they like of 45 to 55 percent. Even Harlequins who are at that the top end at 55%, but that just shows that even with the massive nerfs with their balanced data slate bringing down their uh, their invulnerable save, they are still doing quite well. Well, they still have a lot of rules that break the game in some aspects of, like, the flip belts and ignoring height and that type of Mm -hmm. thing. So they still have the maneuverability to get into places. They just have to make sure they kill things and don't take as many shots. Right. Uh, but yeah, like in the safe range, in, in the the range that they they really like things to be in, you've got Harlequins, Inari. I'm just going to go from top to bottom: Harlequins, Inari, Chaos Demons, Orcs, Chaos Knights, Astra Militarum are coming in over fifty percent. They're at fifty one percent. Leagues of Votan, Asuriani, Tau Empire, Grey Knights, and Tyranids are all right at the fifty percent win rate. So hey, they finally got Tyranids to work properly without you know, beating everyone up and leagues of Votan are kind of where they probably want them to be. Necrons and space wolves at 49% Imperial Knights at 48% and drew also Drukari and death guard at 48%. Uh, Adeptus Astartes, which is basically everything that isn't space wolves, dark angels, blood angels, or death watch is at uh, 47%. So they're still struggling a little bit, but they're kind of in that sweet spot. Uh, Thousand Suns, 46%. Chaos Space Marines, 46%. Adeptus Sororitas, they have really come down. I think the loss of uh, Armor of Contempt has hurt the sisters really hard. Yeah. Armor uh, of 40- Contempt has saved them for so long. It, it, yeah. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, T3 just hurts. Yeah. And then Blood Angels at 45%. Despite some high-profile wins, it's like Blood Angels in the hands of a good player are very, very good. But uh, like certain builds and with certain players, it's very good. But otherwise, they they struggle. Um, and 
I think the only reason Adeptus Astartes are hanging in there, because before they were actually below the 45% threshold, is because they have that new scoring where they hold on to objectives even after they've left them. So that's been very good for them, and it kind of takes, you know, makes up for the sting of uh, losing Armor of Contempt. Uh, now, as far as who goes above that for, uh, 55% win threshold, Custodies are at 56%, getting. Uh, Objective secured on more of their units has definitely helped them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dark Angels at 57%, and the lists I've seen coming out of, like, uh, Goonhammer's uh, reporting uh, definitely goes Deathwing heavy, which Terminators are good again with uh, Armor of Contempt gone. So no real surprise there. They run the best Terminators. And then... uh, the one that really surprised me, topping the list at a 58% win rate, Gene Stealer Colts. They shot up from the bottom. I mean, my take on that is the Mechanicus thing. Uh, like last year, or maybe it was two years ago, I don't know, Mechanicus was really good, and then they nerfed them, and then they hit the bottom. I think Gene Stealer Colts are that complex of an army, and I think in the right hands, they can shoot up and beat anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think that with the changes in the army building of, like, they can flood the field with, like, neophytes, but if they want to lean into, like, elites, they've got that, or they can lean into fast attack and do, like, an, uh, an Adeline Jackals kind of, you know, you know, list. Uh, they, they've got a lot of good army builds, and they play to objectives really well, so... Again, it, it is a complex yeah. army, so it's going to be better players who are going to figure out the ins and outs, much like they do with Mechanicus. I think you're absolutely right, Dennis. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. And, again, this is we'll see if that that evens out as they get more data. The Gene Stealer Colts could just be kind of a an initial bloop. Oh, you know, they're doing really well, but once more games come in. Because this is literally over two weeks of gameplay, because they said data taken from <laughs> the January 30th to February 12th. This is an initial snapshot, but it just surprised me that Gene Stealer Colts you know, zapped up to the top. Meanwhile, at the bottom, <laughs> below the 45%, Mechanicus is still suffering at 44. Even with, like, not only taking away all the debuffs and all the nerfs they've been given, but actually, like, doing things like adding core to Cataphrons and stuff like that, still has not pulled up Mechanicus. They are a complex army, but not one that is doing well. But even worse than them, at a 36% win rate, is Death Watch. Uh, okay, so so Kevin, I, I hear that you and I need to dust off our Death Watch and start playing that so we can tank them even more. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we, yeah, if we want that number to go down, we can certainly help. Hey, if it can hit zero, we've done our job, right? <laughs> uh, I don't think that's how that works. I mean, if we can... Mat- I mean, I guess that is a one way for us to materially make changes to the 40k like <laughs> setting, but you'll Ugh. never get Death Watch to zero because buys exist. Right. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say because other people play it. <laughs> oh yeah, other people play it too. No, you're gonna have that person who plays it ends up at the bottom of the pile at a tournament and gets a buy. They're gonna get a win, so they'll never get to zero. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, Death Watch is one where I I still really like the core concept. Yes. The models are cool, but I just they're a complex army that doesn't seem to right now get any benefits out of it. 
Yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. I think that was one of the things that they said in the video is that Death Watch didn't really gain any of the benefits of the Arcs of Omen changes and the balanced state slate changes, but they did take the loss of Armor of Contempt. <laughs> so it's just like they they didn't like what you bring to the table and also because like what people are playing like doesn't necessarily play to death watch's strengths either so it's it's a hard, it's a rough place to be as as a primarily death watch player and this is after we saw some like death watch like uh dreadnought lists like doing well last year mm-hmm. but they they have definitely tumbled and like they were still a struggling force but yeah that's they're going to they're going to have to get some some buffs if those numbers don't come up over the next few weeks. Well, where um cuz I don't have the article pulled up right now. Where where are just general like space marines on the list? Are they 40 s- 47%. They are yeah. they are near the bottom of the sweet spot win rate, but yeah. I mean they're still within 3% of 50. I mean, yeah, it's just like that, that's kind of my point though. I think in general space marines, you know, generic space marines are kind of struggling right now. Um, they have one of the older codexes. They have a lot of stuff that I don't know. They have a lot of units that just are there. So, you know, I, I, I would, I, it's going to be tough for any of those sub factions to be consistently good because I think the core book needs a refresh. And it's, it feels weird to say that because they constantly like update and add new things to space Marines. But um, yeah, I think space Marines as a faction are not in a great place right now. And that definitely bleeds through when you start getting into some of the sub factions like death watch that are a little bit more restrictive, a little bit more complicated to play. Don't get some of the same benefits that like the legion, you know, the, the chapters do and stuff like that. So, right. It's a cool army though. I still like playing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I imagine it's a it's probably an army that's extremely well suited to boarding actions. Yeah, with all your special ammunition and stuff like that. Yeah, and kill teams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would be a lot of fun to play, I think. And and I think that's one thing to remember is trying to expect this many factions. I mean, the fact that they've gotten this many factions in that forty five to fifty five percent sweet spot is pretty impressive. I mean, that's that's For a sure. pretty good balance trick. But yeah, you're you're gonna have a few outliers. We'll see again if this these trends continue. Like if in once they have like four or six weeks of data, we see like, oh no, okay, Gene Caesar cults are back down to like 55, 56%, Dark Angels around 56%. Like, if you're a little bit outside that range, that's not too bad. And honestly, yeah. it's not like when we were seeing Zinch Demons at like a 70% win rate or anything like that. Yeah. This is a far cry from like the days of like Harlequin or Tyranids dominating everything. For sure. Uh, and then uh, finally, are the things that went up for pre-order yesterday is pretty much the rest of the guard line. Uh, so we like we've already had like the new Cadian shock troops and the Rogaldorn tank and like the heavy weapons squads and uh, you know like a lot of the named characters like those have all been released this week. Kind of finishes up the new parts of that line with the new commissar and his small hat. I'm, I'm not going to stop harping <laughs> on that. I love me love me a commissar hat. I'm reading the Caiaphas Kane novels right now and he's got a jaunty cap that is nice and tall in all the artwork. Well, Rob. They they make yeah. green stuff for that. They do. That they is do. True. It's like I could. Yeah, you could give him the the biggest best hat of all. <laughs> it's like how you know orcs orcs base their lead. You know who's the leader off of who is the biggest. I think commissars should be based off of who has the biggest hat. I I don't make the rules. If you have him stay in a fortress and he's got his team there, he can have a hat on top of his hat. He could and get a whole stack of hats. So, 
So what you're saying is a uh, stove stovetop pats for all commissars. <laughs> no, no, I'm just I'm thinking more like the caps for sale model. <laughs> nice. Like two commissars <laughs> fight, one wins, takes the other's hat, and you just build up this stack. Oh, of commissars, I mean, it's, it's the new currency: hats. orcs use teeth, commissars use hats. There we go. I'm good with that. <laughs> But that like, makes as honestly, much sense as anything else in this in this setting. <laughs> <laughs> so honestly, though, I can't argue. Like the new commissar sculpt is really nice. Like I can't. It is nice. I, I can't yeah. fault it for the design. It's just I love me a big commissar hat. Um, the Cadian Castellan it was released. The Rough Riders, the At- the Attilan Rough Riders are now out in plastic. The Acadian Upgrade Sprue. Um, this one I got some issues with. Because a lot of these parts, there's no reason why they couldn't have been in the standard Cadian kit. <laughs> like, yeah. Now, there's a, there's like two models in here that I I guess I can kind of understand. Because one is the Cadian tank commander that is specifically made to fit the Rogaldorn tank. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. You needed to put him somewhere. But he could have been in the Rogaldorn kit. I'm just going to put that out right. there. Yeah, uh, like they could have put him on the sprue. Because from what I understand, the Rogaldorn kit has a ton of accessories on the sprue. There's no reason why he couldn't have been one of them. Yeah, I mean you you saved you saved a bunch of sprue uh, space by not putting a bottom to the tank, so you easily could have put a commander in there, right? <laughs> uh, and then there's a a body that you can build with the parts from this kit to have um, either a Cadian mechanic or a Cadian medic. Now, mm-hmm. the me- the medic, I can actually see putting into a unit. The mechanic, there, th- that's just a display piece. Um, now, that said, I like, I like all the heads they have in here, and they have a good mix of like male and female heads. They've got them with caps. They've got them with helmets. Uh, there's a couple of injured heads, injured arms. Like they give a full breakdown of this upgrade sprue, eighteen heads with cadet heads with caps, masked Cadian heads with rebreathers, bare Cadian heads, uh, an alternate head for the Cadian shock trooper sergeant, uh, a couple of extra weapons, including like uh, an arm with like a bionic arm. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, a couple of like there's a a wounded upgrade set with like a bandaged head, uh, a left arm in a sling, right arm in a sling. Uh, a trooper navigator who has like a head with an eye lens and uh, a couple of, like in a map. Uh, a left-handed Cadian trooper, if you want, you know, want to throw that in. Um, yeah, then you That's can just build ridiculous. A- Who's left-handed? No, <laughs> that I'm not even going to make jokes. That's such an old, 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 old <laughs> stereotype. I'm just not, not even going to go. Um, and then like. Acadian, like the model that makes either the the battlefield medic or the battlefield mechanic, who I also will point out does not include a base, and uh, they specifically call this out in the description. The armored company officer made to fit in a Rogel Dorn. I do not know if he will fit in a, a Lehman Russ. And then, like, accessories, including bayonet, sandbag, spare helmet, holstered pistol, fuel can... Um, a right arm with an axe and a grave marker with a las gun planted in the ground and topped by ha- helmet and tags, which is a nice like flavor piece. I, I get that. My questions are: 
first, like I mentioned, with the tank commander, why is he not in the Rogel Dorn set? Which is the like, especially like, why would I buy a thirty-five dollar upgrade sprue for one model that is part yeah. of that can't even be used on his own? And why were a lot of these pieces not just part of the Cadian sprue? The Cadian kit's already a $50 sprue for 10 models. And things like the, like the bayonets and sandbags, they're nice, but like, I mean, I guess they're okay. They're fine. The, the, like having the left handed, okay, cool. Is, you know, somebody wants to have like a left hand character, you know, left handed guy because they're left handed and they want to put them in a squad. Sure. Okay. I get that. But it's like, these, there's no reason why this has to be turned the squad, the cost of a Cadian squad from $50 to 85 when guard is yeah. already one of the most expensive armies to build. I mean, I guess the, the counter argument for this and, I, like I said, I agree. I think this just could have been included in a couple of the other kits. Having this separate means that you don't necessarily need to buy like the Cadian Command kit or a Cadian, you know, troop kit or or a tank to get some of these things. Like it allows you to get the bodies outside of that. And what this also allows you to do is this allows you to find potentially to find like cheaper bodies from other companies and or 3D print and then. You've got, you buy this and you can make, you know, uh, you can make an extra, you know, kit out of, you know, unit out of this using a lot of these body parts and stuff like that. So, and make them kind of fit more into your army. So, I don't disagree that this couldn't have been included, but I do kind of like it as a separate option. Same, same way that I like having like the, the Space Marine chapter upgrade kits where it's like, hey, here's shoulder pads and some extra helmets and stuff like that. So, you can make it a little more customizable and a little more unique. So, I, I can kind of see both sides of this. I think some of these should have absolutely been included in the main kit. Um, but I also kind of like this as a separate thing. Well, and the thing is, they point out that it is compatible with plastic Cadian kits. It doesn't say it's compatible with any of their other kits. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I don't even... I think the Cadian kit's the only infantry they're selling outside of the Krieg set, which I don't think these are going to be compatible with that based on how they're okay, built. Okay, well... Yeah, let me let me be clear. I meant a cheaper company's bodies. Ah, fair enough. Fair I meant I meant a I meant a company not not Games Workshop. <laughs> and like I said, I don't have anything specific in mind with that. I'm just saying if you wanted to go buy, you know, if if for example you wanted to do a, a more heavily armored, cre you know, Cadian uh, army or something like that, and you 3D printed like the bodies, and then you use this as the accessories, like. This would help that army blend in a little bit more. So I like it from that perspective. I like having more of the upgrade sprues available because what I absolutely hate is buying like a $50 kit because I need to get three parts out of it, you know, for, for a conversion or something. So I do like having these kits, kits like this available. But I also agree that, yeah, a lot of this should have just been included in the infantry kit because especially all the like the extra heads and stuff. Or release this at like twenty dollars instead of thirty five. Sure, sure, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, across the board, and we just had this conversation earlier. Across the board, everything can afford to be twenty percent cheaper. Like I would love right. that, but you know, <laughs> yeah. So I, I have, I have my like. I don't dislike the concept. I dislike the price point. And mm -hmm. added to an already expensive army. Yeah, that's fair. 
And then also the Aegis Defense Line is now the new one is up for pre-order. And again, I'm going to call out the price on this. It's a $75 wall. Oof. I do like it, though. I like that it's a little bit more like it feels like there's a little more to it than the old Aegis Defense Line. There is. Um, it's yeah, got a better aesthetic. Mm. It doesn't include any weaponry because the Aegis Defense Line doesn't anymore. Like, I do like that it has, like, little platforms and stairs. Like, it's it's definitely a better crafted version of the Aegis, the older Aegis Defense Line. But 75 bucks for a wall is... It's yeah. a nice wall, but it's a little bit of a hard ask when they say, we think you'd like... And I'm looking at the terrain that they've got here. They've got some, like, the frontierist terrain and mm-hmm. like there's entire buildings you can get for 70 to 80 bucks yeah <laughs> that are you know less than i mean this but wall on on the same flip note though next to that is the battle zone frontierist vox antana and Ospec shrine for 70 bucks so it cuts both ways yeah fair fair <laughs> i mean now i have those because they were in like the morocco Set. Yeah, they were in the and kill team. Yeah. yeah, and they're they're nice big like that antenna and the aspect shrine are actually pretty decent sized pieces of terrain. Sure. But I also I see what you're saying. Like though those alone should probably be like maybe forty or fifty rather yeah. than seventy. I I will I will say this uh, again to kind of tag on the conversation we had earlier. The one area where I have absolutely zero compulsion for like 3D printing is terrain. Like, Agreed. Terrain is terrain. It that is it. That is the one area where three D printing can help you get into it, get stuff turned out pretty quickly, and save a ton of money. On an army, yeah. eh, you know, models and stuff like that, it's a little bit hit or miss. You have to dial in settings more. You have to buy more expensive machines. But like a two hundred dollar three D real FDM three D printer, you can start printing this stuff in you know in a couple of days, and you will absolutely like recoup cost on terrain very quickly. Right. No, I, 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 I don't disagree with that. And yeah, it's like, I, I, I wish I could, uh, could necessarily recommend buying, ter- you know, terrain at that price. And I know it's an official fortification in the codex and everything. It's just like, that seems a, a high it, ask. <laughs> it does. You know, I will say this. And again, not to defend it at all, because I completely agree. It does seem like it is a much bigger kit. Than than the old one, like it looks oh, yeah. like it, no, you it's, know, it's it's significantly bigger and takes up a significantly bigger footprint. I agreed. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a better a better setup than like the old like four you know two you know four smaller little like single wall sections and four double wall sections and they're all kind of flat and everything. No, this is a this definitely fits the aesthetic that they've got on like some of the older trench work pieces that they did and things like that. I like. I mean, I like the aesthetic of it. I just my the pricing of it makes me. You know, kind of yeah. cringe a little bit. Um, they also did the combat patrol, which is at 160 bucks. Which, given the price increases, I think that's going to be where we're going to see combat patrols land. Is at 160 bucks. So, I yeah. I'm wondering if these prices, because these kits are just being released, are going to be immune to the price increases or not? I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see what happens with with these in the next month when the prices for everything else starts to go up. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because like I was looking at the the pre-orders and like, oh yeah, there's a upgrade sprue. They want how much for it? Like that one really just kind of caught me at like because the Space Marine upgrade sprues. Let's see, because uh, they are yeah they are cheaper. 
Yeah, they're noticeably cheaper. Because like if I look at Blood Angels, do do do. Uh, fifteen dollars, fifteen dollars yeah, for the for the old ones, and then like the Black Templars one, which includes a lot more, is thirty five. So th- some of the newer ones are closer, you know, in that thirty five dollar price range. But and and the Black Templar one includes about twice as much as like the smaller ones. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I would I would prefer probably a smaller one. Like so for that Cadian one, um, you know, a, a fifteen dollar upgrade. That is maybe just all of the head options, and then like a, a separate fifteen dollar upgrade that is like everything else might be better because then you could just buy the stuff that you you know target a little bit more what you want. But I don't know. It, it seems like this is. I like that they're giving more options, and that seems like that's going to be the price point going forward. Is thirty five bucks? Like yeah, like if they had had a set that was the heads and the arms with like guns and such. Even if at twenty bucks, I would have been probably fine with that, and then have like mm-hmm. a fifteen dollar, like a ten or fifteen dollar. Let's say fifteen. That's going to be their smallest price point. Let's be honest. Yeah, tank set that included the mechanic and the tank commander and like the the arms like yeah. jerry cans and stuff like that. Yeah, that I'd I'd be fine with that. I think that would be kind of where I would say like, okay, yeah, this could be two separate products. Because the thing is, if you want to buy two or three of these to get a whole bunch of like cap heads or or cat like the rebreather helmets stuff like that, you're gonna end up with like a but a you're gonna spend way more money than you should than you should yeah and yeah. and then you're also gonna end up with a, like a bunch of extra tank commanders. Also, I think the tank commander should have different heads available because I think his uh, yeah his body is one. Like his body, no, okay, his body and head are are separate pieces, so you can put different heads on him. Okay, I do appreciate that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, oh, that's good. That's nice. But yeah, but, no, yeah. I yeah, I like that they're providing them. I don't necessarily love the way they're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Same here. All right, and I think that <laughs> gets us through news and new releases. Um, well, I guess the, the one uh, last thing I think I did want to kind of bring up, if I can find it, is they did announce that there's a bunch of qualifying events yeah. for, the, for the U.S. Open finals. Um, more Like in the past, it was the U.S. Open and a few like like the super major events like Adepticon, LVO, you know, Nova Open. Like those were the events that could get you a ticket to go to um, Atlanta for the grand the finale. Yeah. For the grand finale um, there, as of right now are 310 qualifier <laughs> qualifying paths. And you can still submit for it because for Midwest conquest, we went ahead and submitted, um, submitted Midwest conquest 40 K to be included in it as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like this. I like that they're involving the community more. I like that they're involving these other events, giving people opportunities to qualify, you know, in multiple ways. That way you don't necessarily have to travel across the country or across the world uh, to come to one of those uh, events, um, you know, to specifically qualify. You can you could potentially do it, um, you know, at, in local places because it's all over the world. Like there's local events in, in other countries and stuff like that. So I, I like it. I think it's a good, uh, I think it's a good idea. And, and uh, in the United States, specifically here in, in the Midwest, I do see that bug eater is listed. They got, they moved their event to June 24th. So they're no longer competing with the U S open, which is good. That is good oh, for good. them. I'm they're no longer competing with us either. 
<laughs> um, and uh, Show Me Showdown, which is going to actually be yep. here in Lee Summit, where I live, uh, is going to be officially a qualifier as well. Um, nice. Uh, War Games Con and the Dallas Open and the Alamo GT, Dennis, those are events down in your area. Yeah, but I'd normally go to the narrative at the Dallas Open, so I don't think I'll qualify with that. Well, and for the Dallas so much. for the Dallas Open, it's the age of it's an age of Sigmar qualifier. No, it's at least no, it's forty k and it's forty k oh, it and oh, age of Sigmar. Yep. Okay, uh, I read that wrong. Uh, I skipped right over that. Okay, I think there's a, there's only there's a couple like Lone Star Grand Tournament is age of Sigmar only, and the Old Town Throwdown in August is age of Sigmar only. <laughs> No, um, I, re- I was reading yeah. through it very quickly, and I saw Warhammer 40,000 Age of Sigmar, and I read that as Warhammer Age of Sigmar. So, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there's a, a bunch of events. Uh, and, like, you know, I listed the U.S. because, obviously, that's where we are. But, uh, like, I'll just run down the list cool. of countries. Argentina, Australia, Austria, Belgium, Canada, China, Denmark, France. Germany, Gibraltar, Greece, Hungary, Iceland, Ireland, Italy, Japan, Luxembourg, Malaysia, Malta, Mexico, Netherlands, Norway, Philippines, Poland, Romania, Singapore, Slovenia, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Thailand, Ukraine. Yes, Ukraine gets an event. Awesome. Love it. United Kingdom, United States, and Vietnam. So my question is, how much money do we have in the Preferred Enemies Patreon? Can we afford to send all four of us to Malta in September? I'm going to say that's a hard no. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Plug our Patreon. No, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I love the fact that they're having these events. I'll make the the listeners a deal. (laughs) If you give us the money to go to Malta, we will go there and leave Kevin there. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> but no, it, it is cool to see like this huge, huge list of events that are, you know, and they do mention like they have the U.S. Open. So like U.S. Open Kansas City, obviously U.S. Open Tacoma, um, U.S. Open. Uh, and of course, those are team events or like U.S. Open Kansas well, City is a team event. And it's interesting. Well, it's listed, but it doesn't have any events listed next. Yeah, to it. it's the only one that's on the list, but doesn't actually qualify you for anything. Um, right, and then but, Tampa you know. Bay is the other one, yeah. I, and and also, just for people that well, are interested, the, the I'll tickets- toss this out. They also have other events, um, like uh, Kill Team and not Underworlds, sure. but Warcry. I do believe they have those events in Atlanta too that you could qualify for. Sure, they're just not listed on the yeah. Yeah, but just the, the entry for the U.S. Open Kansas City has nothing listed next to it. Right. Yeah. But and I will say as well, like the U.S. Open tickets went available, I think, last week. So we bought our tickets for Kansas City. So we're definitely coming to that event, um, you know, and then as we, well, you know, we're doing as we the, get close the narrative, not the team. Sure. We're doing. Yeah, we're doing the narrative event. I'm doing a couple of the, the hobby uh, hobby classes as well, because they're doing hobby classes throughout the week. So, um, yeah, so we'll definitely be there for the for the narrative event on the weekend. So if anybody else is interested, uh, come say hi. I think one of the only events I don't see listed is Renegade Open, and that's because Renegade Open is the same week as the finals. Mm. Yeah. That stands. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, 
like if you want to try to get into the finals in Atlanta, there's a, a ton of ways. And I'm really glad that it is because not everybody can attend an op- like the U.S. Opens, yep. you know, whether because of distance or cost. Uh, so opening this up to a whole bunch and, of course, all the worldwide events, too. I mean, Europe is just filled with events. Um, you know, Canada having, having, a their own slate of events as well. Um, you know, Mexico having an event. Um, I am mad that Korea gets one of the best event names with 40 Korea. <laughs> 40 Korea. Switzerland gets the Gruyere open tournament. So bring your cheese and go. Um, but yeah, it's. Now, nah, th- this is just cool to see that they've opened this up to the wider community and made it yeah. made multiple paths of entry, which will also mean the world championships, instead of being like an invitational with just like a few players, is going to be like a super major event on its own. Like it's going to be a gigantic yeah. event because remember, KC, there will be five people coming from KC, you know, from the KC yeah. event, whoever wins there. So now nah, this is this is very cool. I'm I'm very excited to see this. Um, well, that wraps us up for news and new releases. No, normally this would be the part where we transition over to listener mail, and we do have a letter. And I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say, Christoph Herbelsheimer, I am sorry we're not going to get to your letter today because your letter is Tiernid focused, and our Tiernid expert is not here. <laughs> so we are going to basically punt your letter to next episode. We will get to it when we can have Richard. Uh, answer it on the air uh but unfortunately he's not here so we were hoping he'd make it make it before uh, we got to letters but uh, he didn't so we will get to your letter next time but if you want to have your letter if you are not christoph christoph we will definitely read your letter on the air next episode but if you are not christoph and you want to get your letter read on the air as well uh there are three good ways to do it first off you can email us uh, our email addresses are our first names at preferred so rob at kevin at dennis at richard at preferred or our first names one word at preferred uh second is facebook we are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies uh you can like us there follow us and uh, send us messages and third is at uh, war we are on uh, mastodon we are at warhammer.social slash at preferred enemies and you can uh like follow us on all those places send us messages we take all those messages collate them together put them into a list and get through as many as we can in an episode and other than one we've got queued up, uh, we've got plenty of room for uh, letters for next episode. So if you want to get one to us, um, you can definitely do that. Just like I said, send us any of those three ways and we'll get your letter read. Also, if you want to help support the show and possibly send and keep Kevin in Malta, um, we are <laughs> we do have a Patreon. <laughs> we are at patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, we use that as an online tip jar. Basically, all our episodes are will always be free and distributed through uh, the podcaster or podcatcher of your choice. But if you want to help support the show, which does things like uh, covering our recording costs, our web hosting costs, the cost of new microphones, and the cost of abandoning Kevin in Europe, um, you can uh, give us uh, like even if it's just a dollar a month. Uh, and we do ask that if you have the money to support us, obviously, first off, look in your local area and find any charities that uh, you may be able to help with your resources there. But if after that, you still want to help support the show, even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar a month, it really does add up. And as of right now, 
like you have us at income neutral for our recording costs and hosting costs. So we really do appreciate it. You all help continue to make the show possible. Uh, your letters help provide us with content and interesting things to, uh, to read to our other listeners and talk about. So we really do appreciate all of you. And whether it's contributing money or letters or just, you know, liking us, following us, downloading the episode, we really do appreciate all that you do. So thank you very much for all your support. Um, we're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at uh, the second Arcs of Omen book, Arcs of Omen Angron. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Care Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look at Arcs of Omen Angron. Uh, this is a obviously a continuation of the Arcs of Omen storyline, which, uh, given the time frame, and we know there's at least four books, uh, it's a pretty safe bet that this is leading to, if this is our gathering storm for the transition from... 7th to 8th edition this could be our transition from 9th to 10th i you know it's i think it's pretty mm-hmm. clear at this point that that might be what's going on so uh we 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 enter into chapter 2 now last time we talked about the the when we talked about arcs of women abaddon obviously uh vashtor the archophane the uh demon wannabe god of basically invention and contracts had approached abaddon with a deal to like you help me get these parts for some sort of key to a uh possibly universe ending device and 
I will give you these massive space hulks and we'll trick them out into basically being working battleships and they will lead fleets and you will send them to get me the pieces of this key. I basically, I will give you strength and you will get me what I want. And Abaddon's like, okay, fine. Sounds good. I've been seeing, you know, I've been, we've been receiving visions of some sort of great universe ending thing too. So fine, whatever Uh, we will, we'll do this. Abaddon doesn't like being in anyone's pocket. He's, you know, he's he, one of the reasons why he's never thrown in with any particular chaos god, but kind of they all court him. And I can never remember. I know they did in the video whether it was Abaddon or Abaddon. I say Abaddon. 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 Say yeah. It. Abaddon. Yeah. Is how I'm going to say it. Well, just like so. Rebooty Gulliman. Here's the. Here's, here's the here, I, I do appreciate that they put that video out and explain the names, but also all of these words are made up, so it does not matter. <laughs> like, it's. Like except for like some of them, except are, for are, well, except for lieutenant. Lieutenant is a real world. Is a real you mean world lieutenant. Word. Yeah, lieutenant is a real, real Lef, word. Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Premier's lieutenants. Uh, <laughs> there's no f in the damn word. I don't understand. Anyway, British people are weird. <laughs> Your language is wrong. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> they couldn't pronounce mal- uh, kickatrix maledictum though. <laughs> right. Yeah, the sick kick of the the Great Rift. We're gonna call it the Great Rift. <laughs> they had to have. I appreciate that. That was yeah. They had to have some humor in it. No, but like I do appreciate they put pronunciation guides out there, but also they aren't real places and they aren't real things, so it doesn't really matter. Like, <laughs> like the Arbites. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I'm still gonna call them Arbites because that's just that's the way my Midwestern like mouth works. <laughs> Arbites. <laughs> <laughs> so it works badly. That's what you're telling me. Yes. Have you not listened to the show? <laughs> Unfortunately, I have because right? I have to edit it. I've listened. <laughs> Although I usually have you on like uh, 150% speed, so you sound more like a chipmunk, but it basically still stands. Yeah. That's fair. Anywho. Yes. Abaddon. <laughs> Abaddon. So, so that was, so that was what happened in, uh, in, in Arcs of War Abaddon. So now we get to art. Arcs of Omen, Abaddon. So now this takes us to Arcs of Omen, Angron. And that was one of the things, like, there was something on a planet, it wasn't going well, and Abaddon had said, like, well, you know what, I'll, you know, Angron. Now, Abaddon doesn't actively send Angron. I'll make that, they they make that kind of clear at the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. That uh, Angron is kind of just out there doing his own thing, and he is still riding around in The Conqueror, which if you have read uh, the Horace Heresy novels, especially Betrayer, that, that is that was his flagship during the Great Crusade, is, is The Conqueror. He is still mm-hmm. flying around. He is in a chamber that has like no no atmosphere. The ship has been mutated over time by the warp. And I did like the uh, the callback to Betrayer with him having a vague memory of somebody yelling, fire the Ursus Claws. Yeah. Because that one of the best characters they ever, that Aaron Debsky Bowden created was, uh, yeah, L- Lotara Saren, the, cap- the, the former yes. captain of the Conqueror. Saren is fantastic. And I, and th- and I love her. No, I... And- I loved like the 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 all of the stuff like especially in the beginning where they're like digging into Angron's like memories and like the the repeated line in here you know the nails pounded in his head pounding 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 like that gets repeated throughout the at one point he mentions that like he's flying through space and it's like 
no, I'm not flying through space because my air, my wings are like displacing air and propelling me forward. I'm doing it through sheer force of will. I'm like, that's, that's my boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's my boy. <laughs> and, and he's like floating through space and like he hate, you know, again, we talked about this last episode when we talked about the world eaters, but Angron hates everything. He hates the universe. He hates stars. He wants nothing to live. So you were saying that he is angry. Indeed, extremely okay. angry. <laughs> but like while he's out there, he spots something out in the stellar distance as the nails again are pound pound pounding in his head, and it is this beacon of like light that is almost painful to him and yet it reminds him of his father, who he also hates. <laughs> And so he decides, I'm, I want to go kill this thing that reminds me of my dad, so I'm going to go there. And he just happens to have an entire fleet of renegade ships, not that he has called to him, but that are just following him around because they love their daddy. There's a bunch yeah. of, you know, cornate renegades, and then, of course, world, world eater fleets have, like, and in fact, they're outnumbering all the other, like, renegade ships. So, like we you mentioned last episode, like that is the the reason why we are seeing the world eaters kind of recoalescing as a playable force is because they are following Engron, whether he wants them to or not, but he's still right. gonna use them and yeah, and meanwhile, yeah, and meanwhile the the arc of omen that we are focused on in this episode, the Stygian heart is kind of following along because it is also headed towards the same planet where this beacon is located and they're like, well, you know, Angron could ruin everything. And this is actually run by the ship has been given to a warband that's been mentioned a few times since I think about the 6th uh, since like Dark Imperium and it's a group called the Scourged and they were they used mm. to be a loyalist uh, chapter, but they fell when they got obsessed with like people lying to them, and then Zinch cursed them to hear every lie that's ever been spoken, and it drove them mad. And so they serve Zinch in the hopes of making the voices shut up. And so they are they have been given this this Ark of Omen, the Stygian Heart, uh, by Abaddon to go seek out something on the planet of Malakbael, which is where this beacon is located. So what is this beacon and why is it so important? Well, there's a little bit of backstory here. This part of the galaxy is being is being served by part of the Indomitus Crusade, specifically Fleet Quartus, so Fleet 4 of the Indomitus Crusade. And uh this fleet has not been doing great, not terribly, but they've had a lot of setbacks. Things have not gone well for their campaigns. Again, no tragic failures, just they're not getting the kinds of successes that they feel that they deserve to give to the Primarch, you know, Rupert Guleman. And so the fleet master, uh, fleet master Trinicus Abcondus is like, ah, we need to do something. We need to step this up, but I don't know what we're going to do. And so he's he's trying to find some way that they can kind of step up their schedule and and do what they were meant to do. And they get a res- they, it comes in the form of a message from an inquisitor of the uh, Ordo Hereticus named 
Glory e Magna, which um, I've all, I also recommend watching the uh, the Arbiter Ian recap of the Arcs yeah. of Omen Engron uh, lore, and he does point out it's like it's the most on the nose name of a Inquisitor for the Order of Sereticus. Gloria Magna, effectively, if you put it together. But she is she for like her thing is she hates psychers. Like she sees them as useful tools, but she doesn't see them as people. And she has found a thing called that, that is referred to as the Coral Engine. She names it the Coral Engine. It is a piece of archaeotech. Its origins are unknown, but apparently, if you strap a whole bunch of psychers into it, you can focus them into a beacon not unlike the Astronomicon. And unlike the Astronomicon, which is just kind of a lighthouse, this thing can actually be focused on various parts of the galaxy nearby. And so they figure out how to use this thing, this this massive device, offensively. And they it like it breaks up warp storms, it disrupts demonic incursions, it messes with warp rituals. And because they're able to to um, weaken the the hold of chaos on this area, like the ba- battle fleet Quartus suddenly starts kicking ass because it's able to like not only is it a focusing point for warp travel, so the fleet can like get to places in an easier fashion, but also like the forces of, ca- of chaos they're fighting are disrupted. Uh, warp storms are disrupted, so travel is easier and. Like they're able to screw with rituals from the the word bearers. They basically like they shine this psychic mm-hmm. beacon on it, and suddenly like all their demonic helpers and their magic isn't working. And the battle battle groups uh, of this in this fleet are just of the crusade fleet are just doing really really well. And just like one victory after another, and everything is going great. And then the Grey Knights show up because their prognosticators had uh, the prognosticars had had gotten visions of this thing. And they're like, this is gonna end. They, they're starting to have visions of this is ending badly. So the Grey Knights ruin the party for everybody. Got it. Uh, well, no, actually, they <laughs> don't. Although um, they they show up at the the system that at the Malak system where the planet Malak Bell is, and that's where the uh, the the captain or that's where uh, Fleetmaster Fleet of Condus is. And he sh- and their their brother captain shows up on their ship, and he's like, "Yeah, this might not be a great thing, and this is going to draw a whole bunch of enemies to us." And of course, the Condus well, is like, "Who are you? I have no idea who you are." Yeah, that's that's one of the little bits that I really liked about that is like this guy is a fleet commander of the fourth fleet of the Imperium, like reports up directly to a Primarch. And he doesn't know who the Grey Knights are. Like, right. That's kind of cool. <laughs> and th- that sticks with the rest of the fluff that's been well established is the Grey Knights are a big secret. Like, nobody mm-hmm. really knows about them. But uh, there's concern because they don't know, again, they don't know what the source of this device is. And they're like, this could be evil. Like, this could actually be, like, malignant tech. Like, you're using it for good, but bad things are going to come out of it. And we've seen visions that there are going to be massive, like, traitor armies coming this way. So you should bring all your forces to defend this because there's going to be a – we feel there's going to be a grand battle here. And so, yeah, they muster 
as many battle groups as they can to defend the Moloch system and specifically specifically Moloch Bell. And uh, then, yeah, sure enough, eight days after the muster is completed, there's that eight again that we're going to see. A gigantic war fleet bursts into the edge of the system, and of course this is the Stygian heart along with Ankron's fleet of carriers on, uh, you know, or his fleet of hangers on. And uh, I'm not going to get into all the battles, but uh, there's a lot of void battles. And honestly, the Imperial defenses uh, hold up pretty well. Yeah. Um, I mean, they At actually... the initial wave, yeah. Yeah, the initial wave, like, they actually tear the initial wave of the uh, Chaos Incursion apart. Like, they do very well. But one thing to remember is that Angron, he may be crazy with hate and fury and rage, but he's still a Primarch. And they like they do drive that home. It's like he he may be like insane, but he is still ta- a tactical genius. And so he See, And this is this is where like I think in the inside the narrative things, like this is where the, all of the Black Library books really kind of shine through. And like They've had time to develop Angron as a character in the Horus Heresy novels. They've had time to, you know, to write other books about him as a demon Primarch. So, like, when you get to this point, like, he's already well established. You can make him more than just, you know, angry, angry man who's angry at everything. It's like, no, he's, he can be a tragic figure. He could be thoughtful. He could be cunning. Like, and also, you know, mad at everything. Um, and I, I think that really gives specifically chaos. Just like this extra depth uh, in the setting that's, I don't know, it just, I, I love that aspect of it. Right. And apparently, like, the force that, like, that first wave, obviously it wasn't part of, Angron doesn't have a plan on this. Angron just, you know, Hulk smash, but at the same time, he, like, immediately looks at the entire layout of the, where fleets are set up in this in the system, and he's like, oh, that first wave has completely, like, pulled their defenses out of order, so now all I need to do is I'll send out orders to the rest of this coronate armada and they split into three and mm-hmm. the attack in, in th- like three prongs. And it does end up splitting the uh, Imperial defenders. And eventually, like I said, I'm not going to cover all the battles, but eventually the world eaters and Angron make landfall. And Especially after Angron does a couple Hulk smashes through like ships, ships, which is yes. just which is just the most perfect thing. Where he's like, "All right, I'm just gonna like burst through the bridge of this ship and crash it." Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, and like he made like he makes landfall by himself, <laughs> and he just starts carving through the defenders' planet side, and. You know, also, we've already established he is angry, he hates everything, but he's also angry at them for being not up to the challenge of fighting him. <laughs> like, he's, <Right. laughs> he's like, these aren't even, these people aren't even worthy of me to fight. <laughs> and as he's fighting, he hears, like, he can sense that cornate demons are going to, like, try to come through the warp and fight alongside him and try to take skulls for themselves. He's like, nope, they're not. Those aren't your skulls. These are my skulls. But they follow him anyway. And then, you know, the the world eaters themselves start making landfall. And the, a fortress has been built around this entire coral engine called the Fortress of Light. And 
the you know the forces of chaos basically uh throw themselves at this fortress and inside uh you know this again still this fortress is like this beacon is still blasting out and it's hurting angron like it is actively mm-hmm. causing him discomfort which just makes him angrier but uh but they like fight their way just carve their way through the defenses and so uh Gloria Magna decides okay well we'll just crank this thing up to 11 <laughs> <laughs> to the point where like it's burning out the psychers you know inside the you know they're like trying to keep this thing going and like it's disrupting the the demonic allies that are coming along and it's you know it's doing its job but nothing can stop Angron's assault and this I think this is the one one of the parts where like it does kind of bother me a little bit like nothing can stop Angron in this and it feels a little bit off but I don't know I like it I know I imagine you would but <laughs> yeah but it's like he he is actively unstoppable and he finally gets to the uh like he gets to the inner sanctum of the coral engine and the gray knights are there. And he, at this point he has picked up an honor guard of eight bloodthirsters who are following him along. Again, he doesn't care about them, but they're along for the ride. Um, the gray knights actually do stop the, like they do manage to stop the bloodthirsters and drive them back, but then they're still Angron, And he basically just, again, destroys everything in his path Brother Captain Crom does manage to hit Angron, like with mm-hmm. his demon hammer in the temple, hits him a couple of times, sends him like moving back, and then Angron just cuts him in half with his axe. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets up to the coral engine. This thing, like he's been damaged, he's been hurt. But he hates so much, he just hits the thing as hard as he can with his axe and sword at the same time. And at this, at that exact moment, Korn uses him to basically shove murder thoughts into this engine, which causes it a... Like, Angron is basically his body... Okay, so first off, the planet explodes. <laughs> Because this thing is right. bored so deep into the core of the planet that the planet cracks like Cadia and just explodes. Angron's physical form is obliterated, but his demonic spirit is still there. He's, he also hates this thing because there are witches and psychers involved. Um, they all, like, burst into flame, um, which that makes him happy for a moment. <laughs> like, there's a moment where he actually has clarity. Which is kind of yeah. nice for it's nice for him, but like I said, corn like he can feel corn's presence behind him. He kind of wants to look around, but he's not going to. And he's thinking he feels corn drawing his sword, and it's like corn's like, okay, fine, corn's gonna finally kill me. Yes, no, corn stabs basically Aww. the psychic circuit and and feeds like pure violence into it. And now, because he's realized the next thing he is, is his form has knitted itself back together, and he's still alive, and uh, he's now mad at this, and so he just starts killing more Imperial troops. Just um, pops up somewhere else and starts murdering again. <laughs> yeah. 
Crusade Fleet Cordis tries to evacu- evacuate as many people as possible from the, the rapidly disintegrating planet. And at the time, though, that's when the murder curse happens. Because, as I said, Korn basically thrust violence upon this psychic beacon. And it spreads out from the Malik system and spreads outwards. And starting at the Malik system, like... They're like people are trying to board onto these evacuation ships, and then all of a sudden they just start turning on each other, they, crying out like to corn. And some of them even start mutating, but like they're like they don't even mm-hmm. start using weapons. They like they just start tearing into each other with like whatever they have on hand, even with their like fists and teeth. And they talk like there's a whole section of. On the fleets, they start turning like the the ship crews turn on each other. The uh, like Imperial Guard units turn on each other. Primaris Space Marines turn on each other. Even like fly like flying in storm talons. Like they talk about one like he starts growing into his cockpit as he mu- as he mm. mutates and falls to chaos. Sisters of Battle fall to chaos. It's bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's not um, great. <laughs> no, it's not great. And the only, apparently, the only factions that were immune to this are the Grey Knights, uh, because they're already kind of trained and inured to like warp corruption. Um, the Sisters of Silence, because they're not affected by, by this at all. And the Custodies. Like they're all truly immune. But Indomitus Fleet Quartus is then, uh, declared by the Imperium to be excommunicate traitoris. The entire fleet, 80% of the fleet of the, the beings in the fleet did go to chaos. So that still means there's like 20% of the fleet that were loyalists. They're even declared traitors. And yeah. so like millions of loyal Imperial troops are going to, are slated to be exterminated as well because <laughs> the whole fleet's gone bad. And well, thankfully, that won't have any impact on the larger story. No, I can't imagine it would. <laughs> uh, but meanwhile, um, I mentioned the Stygian Heart earlier. And the Stygian Heart, that Ark of Omen, was actually very badly damaged during the uh, the assault on Malak Bell. Because, you know, the Imperium actually put up a good fight. And at some point, like the scourged on board are like, well, this sucks. We, you know, we're, our mission is going to fail. Vashtor himself shows up, takes control of their ship, repairs it using his, you know, techno sorcery, and then decides he's kind of likes the cut of the scourged jib <laughs> and, uh, tra- teleports them all to his realm in the realm of chaos and then takes over the ship. And then after everything kind of settles down from the explosion, the uh Vashtor goes to the ruins of Malik Bale to where the like the base of the coral engine was and finds the piece of stone that is the portion of the key he's trying to assemble. So in the end, Vashtor got what he wanted. And the Imperium has lost an entire crusade fleet. Even Inquisitors like fell to chaos. It was bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it wasn't great. Yeah. It wasn't great. <laughs> Oh, and uh, Fleet Master of Condus, unfortunately, he fell because Karn ended up on his ship. Yeah, that feels like, uh, like unfortunate. Yeah. 
And and Evcondus was trying to destroy the Conqueror itself. Like he was on an attack run, and the Conqueror's like, nah, I'm I'm not ready to be killed yet because the ship is alive. Although it does have yeah. a crew, it did mention that it does have a bridge crew. But uh, yeah, it's so yeah. This is where its story is going. Uh, you know, a lot happens in this, and this is going to have long lasting consequences on the rest of the story. We're not sure how much, although I, I can't wait to see people start doing those Cornate sister battle conversions. Ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of really cool, like Cornate conversions from this that I'm thinking about. I'm like, man, that would be so cool to do, but got so many other armies I got to do first. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hear you. <laughs> and so that takes us to the rules section of this book. Now, as promised, this book, as, as GW has promised, this book does not have anything for standard 40k. Like, so like if you're playing in a thousand or two thousand point game, because I'm no longer going to say two thousand point is only the only standard. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and say that it should include thousand point games. Um, if you are playing standard like Arcs of Omen missions, this book is unnecessary for you. You do not need it. But if you're playing boarding actions, you might. And that is because this is the first book to include faction-specific rules. Mm. Now, we did have that free PDF they put out of, like, all the rules for mustering a boarding actions force for every faction in the game. Minus one, because it was not out at the time, and that's World Eaters. So, um, this does add rules for World Eaters... Chaos Space Marines, including all the legions, Space Marines, including all the chapters, Grey Knights, Astro Militarum, and Orcs. Now, you may be asking, well, why would I need this other than for the World Eaters? Which, if you're a World Eaters player, I'm sorry, because you don't get a free PDF update unless they've updated this since I downloaded it, which I don't know if they have. I mean, I will say this as the resident World Eaters player, I got 50 pages of, like, awesome fluff and background, so, like, yeah, I think it's still worth it. <laughs> You're not too put out by it? Yeah, I'm I'm okay with this. <laughs> so if you want to play World Eaters in boarding actions, you will have to get this book. They, they didn't make it available as a download. Um, so here's where things get kind of interesting. Now, in when we talked about uh, Arcs of Omen Abaddon, we talked about the boarding action rules. We mentioned that, hey, there's no stratagems beyond anything marked boarding actions. And there are three boarding action stratagems. And here's a list of enhancements. They don't have warlord traits. They don't have relics. Here are enhancements that you can take in a boarding actions army. And we praise the fact that, hey, this is really streamlined. There's three stratagems to remember. And there's like <laughs> two or three, you know, upgrades for your, you know, for a character, for your warlord. This is fantastic. I love it. This is where they start breaking away from that. Now, not terribly, not ridiculously, but it is, I do want to point it out. And the reason I want to point it out is I think the boarding actions PDF we got, the mustering rules 1.0, is boarding actions index versus boarding actions codex. And what we get here is yes. boarding actions codex. Yeah, for sure. And I'm Abs wondering absolutely. if... And I'm wondering if that's going to lead to a sense of haves and have-nots until all the factions are updated, or, you know, have been updated with their their full rules. Now we kind of I I'm I can't say I'm surprised at this. I I, I don't want to say that because I do think when they released all the the boarding action rules for, like the the mustering 
PDF for free. They did specify this was so you wouldn't have to wait until your army was covered in Arcs of Omen. So I can't say they didn't say this was coming, but it does it, it is going to feel you leave you feeling, I think, that you are missing out on options that the other armies have. Yes, yes and no. Like, for sure, there's more in here for world eaters. Like, there's world eater-specific enhancements, there's stratagems and things like that. But I don't think... I Like, I think the largest one in here, I think Chaos Space Marines get seven, and then obviously there's a couple others for the specific legions. But, like, mo- like Space Marines get four stratagems. Like, a lot of these other factions only get you know, a couple here and there. So I actually don't think this is going to cause the same level of disparity that we saw in Codex 40K in 9th edition. Or, you know, 8th and eighth and ninth edition, once Codex has started getting like, you know, here's your 60 stratagems and stuff like that. So my, my hope is that this will be a little bit more restrained. Yeah, and you're probably right. It, it does not cre- feel like it is going to create as wide a gulf. But mm-hmm. I did want to bring it up because I think it is fair to let people know that, hey, if you're playing Tau boarding actions, for example, and you play against yep. somebody who's playing like Night Lords, for example, they're going to have options that you don't. Yeah. Whether That's that will fair. affect how much the gameplay, you know, how much they benefit in certain ways from the gameplay. You know, it may be that these options aren't as you know, are, are around the same power level as the generic ones. Um, so it may not be as much of an issue, but really I think the big thing to, the big takeaway is we are not going to get a full view of boarding actions as a full, like kind of game ecosystem until all the arcs of Omen books are out. I yeah. also hope that they will consolidate all these into a boarding single boarding actions book. Yes. Because of because as of right now, the cost of entry for boarding actions is the terrain, which is going to cost you at least two hundred and ten dollars, assuming you don't get any discounts. Um, because it'll be more expensive if you double up to uh, kill team boxes. And now, even yeah. like they did release a just the Galodark terrain for kill team at 150 which means if you buy two of those it is a hun- it is half again as expensive as buying the boarding actions box set so also not a great solution and still not cost effective if you bought one of the $200 kill team boxes that had a half and then you're buying paying 150 for an extra half so i still find the price of entry for terrain to be unnecessarily high for this Mm-hmm. And we did mention for one of the things we 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 had an issue with bar, uh with the boarding actions was it did require you to buy a sixty dollar book to have the rules to play boarding actions. So cost of entry minus the cost of an army is two hundred seventy dollars. The cost of our cost of entry is now two hundred and thirty dollars because you're going to need to buy the Arcs of Omen book that has your army in it. That's not great. Yeah. I, I don't like these being $60 books. I really don't. Um, so I, I find that as a point of frustration. And yes, our copies were provided to us. Like our copy of this was provided to us by Games Workshop. So, you know, when I like, yes, I have access to the rules as, as a preview copy. That does not change the fact that I feel that if I had to buy this as a consumer, that this would be 
I would kind of balk at this. And I, like, I feel like the, the, at their statement of, yeah, you won't need anything for standard games. Like, you don't need these books for standard games is true, but there should be a big asterisk that says, yeah, but you're going to have to buy at least $120 worth of books to play this format. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of echo what Kevin was saying. I have not bought the current book, and you just listed all the factions. I don't really play any of those factions, but I probably will look into, like, when Eldar, Votan, the Xenos stuff comes into play. But I think I'll probably be on the same boat if Kevin is. I'd probably end up buying the book anyway just to see what's happening with those factions. If the story is still good, like it says that this story was really good, that leads me like, oh, well, they're building the fluff. I mean, 60 might be a little high, but I would probably yeah, still would do that, that just to get all all of the fluff. And then the rules would just be kind of a benefit for that. Now, I, I like I said, if if when all four books are done – Along, like, maybe a couple of weeks later, they release a boarding actions compendium that is, like, a 50 or $60 book, or, you know, hopefully less than that, you know, like, maybe a $40 yeah. book that has just the boarding action rules, the base boarding action missions, because this book does add additional missions and, like, the army-specific rules. Like, if they just put that into a book, I would, like, that, I would be like, okay, there's your cost of entry. It's $210 for the train, plus, let's say, $50 for that book. That's, yeah, that's that, a that clear point. Easier. Yeah. Well, so, for comparison, the, the 40k kill team compendium that's out right now is 55 So, yeah. that's probably the, the price that you'd be looking at for a boarding team's compendium. Boarding actions compendium. So... I think that would be better. Yeah. It it would be better, $55 for one book as opposed to... And yeah, and if you play multiple factions, so like, for example, Dennis, if you're, if Custodes are in one book and Eldar are in another, like, do you buy... Like, assuming that you weren't buying them just, like, to read the storyline, yeah. you know, would you feel okay buying two different books to, to, play, to play both your armies on top of the codexes I you already require? I, I will say it depends on what else is being released that month. Yeah. Because if they space things out well, I'd be okay with it. But if things hit quickly or if there's another big release, like if they release the, co the, if there's new Voton stuff or new Eldar stuff and the Custodes boarding action hits, I'd probably hold off on the Custodes to pick up the others. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it just timing is important. I will say this. I buy the books to read the articles. So. <laughs> uh, kids don't ask your parents that. about that joke <laughs> yeah just said yeah nobody reads magazines anymore no one knows what a magazine is we're old <laughs> all right so with the, the, that rant aside over the over the the cost of entry and i i do yeah. i do find it as a concern and you know, we talked about boarding actions being a good way to get into it. I hope you had know somebody who has the terrain because if yeah. you were a brand new player and you said, Oh, this sounds really cool. And like, cause like Polygon, like the, the gaming website has had articles about boarding actions. Like they show off the terrain, they show off the gameplay and like, Hey, it's a smaller game. It's easier to get into $210 for this. Yeah. For, you know, $210 for the terrain, $60 for the rules. Another $60 for whatever faction you're playing. So now we're at uh, 330 plus 
50 at least for whatever codex you're playing. So yeah. now we're 380 and then $110 for a uh for a boarding, boarding control, control box. Yeah. We're you're talking, you know, nearly $500, which is the cost of a pretty good game console. I mean, that's not yeah. counting any games. It's like that's that's a big ask. And it's like, you know, um, there's a, a video I watched recently. There's another podcast. And generally, I don't listen to other 40K podcasts because, again, I do not want to accidentally internalize somebody else's ideas and repeat them as my own. But uh, I found one online called uh, Poor Hammer. And uh, Poor Hammer did a video on like a challenge of uh, could you make what armies can you make a 2000 point army like could you buy a 2000 point army for $500 or less and like with some rules of like you can't use the second hand market like you are paying everything at GW MSRP um, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. And, it, like, no joke units, no jo- joke armies. Like, you actually have to try to build a serious army. And out of the 20-some factions in the game, and this was before price increases because they did this, like, earlier this year, they managed to get it down to four. And also, is no time-limited boxes. It had to be, like, forever products. So, like, like the Christmas box sets were not allowed, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were four, and it was, like... Grain like custodes was the easiest, mm-hmm. and then it was like custodes, gray knights, necrons, and I think space marines. Like I think those were the four. But that, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, two like starter great- two starter box armies and the uh, and like the most elite armies in the game. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like those are the armies where you can actually make it you know make it happen about as easy as you can and like the custodes and gray knights armies actually came out like really good armies like the necron and um space marine armies were a little little janky but the custodes mm-hmm. and gray knights armies were fantastic now of course that would be harder now because if those go up to 160 dollars for the combat patrols because like i think the gray knights one was literally buy three combat patrols done checks out <laughs> yeah <laughs> the custodes one was like buy two combat patrols and then like fill in the rest with fill in the rest to taste but it's like yeah it's with those costs going up it's gonna be a bit harder it's like trying to find something that is a good entry point and if it seems like i harp on this point a lot part of this is because we have always kind of tried as one of our missions as a podcast to find ways to make the game accessible for new players yeah and price is a part of that, which is also why I push for, like, let's build 1,000-point armies instead of 2,000-point armies, because those are much easier to build, too. So, But anyway. Well, Rob, uh, so, you just put yeah, a thought I, into my head. Okay. Could one of the reasons why Custodes are still doing so well is just because it have more players playing it? Because it's one of the cheaper armies to get into? Um, That's it's possible that I, and we could definitely see that happening more over time, but it's also just, it's a, it's always been a solid army in ninth edition. And, uh, this, like, it was a bit too strong. They pulled it back. Now they've let it out a little bit more. And it's, it's showing that it is still a very strong army, but just by a little bit, it's, it's not wildly overbalanced, but. 
and also I can think of our old episodes where I think a lot of times Kevin and I did recommend Custodes for new players. Yeah, yeah. no, Custodes yeah. is a fantastic, uh, you know, fantastic army for new players. But anyway, I'm mean, basically I'm just saying, remember that the cost of entry for boarding actions can yeah. be de- deceptive. It can seem deceptively low if you're just looking at it from the army standpoint. When you look at all the things you would need to play this format as a new player, it's a lot. It's not any cheaper necessarily than a new army. I disagree. Sure. I think it's still cheaper than, like you just said there, most 2,000-point armies with the few think, exceptions. I think the big thing is you would want to find a game group or like a game store that has the terrain or yes. come up with alternate uh, methods of the terrain. And this is something that I've been trying to toy around with, like coming up with, because uh, they have like listed in the books, like all of the terrain pieces, like you need, you know, A, B, C, D, et cetera. One thing that I would like to do is I want to put together like a PDF of like, here are the terrain size piece sizes, print it out and stick it on cardboard, you know, or something yeah. like that. So, so that people do have the option of like, you can do this without having to like buy the, you know, the plastic train. And like, I like the train. The train's really neat, but that is the biggest, that is the biggest impediment to this. If you can cut out the train component of it and, you know, plays just as easy with cardboard or paper terrain. If you can cut out the terrain component of this, then all of a sudden that halves or, you know, thirds the cost of entry. And then, yeah, you're looking at, you know, you're still looking at some books and stuff like that, but like it becomes a much more approachable to go like, Hey, go buy a boarding patrol box, put it together. You know, we can work on that and kind of get you in the hobby and then we can play and we can do this and you're not having to buy everything like that, that greatly lowers the cost and makes it a much better intro program. Right. Like already I'm seeing like MDF terrain. Yeah. Which I like, I love working with laser cut wood. It smells fantastic. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, uh, we're we're an industrious hobby. We'll come up with something like there's like, I'm just looking on Etsy and there's, there's already like MDF terrain out there and, and 3d printable terrain, STL files, stuff like that. So, right. There's again, terrain is the, the, the one area where I'm like, Ah, no, 3D printing or MDF or, or paper train is like the way to go. I love the GW plastic stuff, but if you're trying to do this on a budget, no, that terrain is the area where you can find cheaper alternatives for sure. Right. Yeah, I definitely seeing people building proxy terrain sets. So, so yeah, if you can get that stuff, then yeah, getting into this format is is way lighter you know so and again like if you just play like your local like warhammer store for example i imagine like i i haven't been to my my local store since boarding actions dropped since like the train set dropped but i'd be surprised if they didn't have a table set up available for people to try it out and play it because that's why do do you hate your local gw store i just it's not local local it's yeah. A little local, but uh, mine's mine's like five minutes from me, and I haven't been there in a couple of months. So because I go because yeah. I go to my friendly local game store. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever you can support independent stockists, you know because yeah, like they 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 need the money more than the corporation that is going to make money off the product either way. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, all that ranting aside, um, let's get into the the rules for boarding actions, uh, specifically the unit, the faction rules. And we're not going to go through all these in like high detail, but um, and some of them we will direct you to the boarding actions mustering at PDF, which is still available for download, because apart from world eaters, that mustering section is 
still valid for all of them. Like that has not changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, for example, for world eaters, uh, remember you only have a couple of F, uh, a couple of legal HQ choices because I think only Karn and the master of executions are valid HQs. Fortunately, you don't have to take HQs in this format. So you probably won't unless you really like yeah. Karn. Um, Karn is good, but yeah, Karn is good. <laughs> um, let's see. So when mustering a boarding patrol, if your faction is world eaters and the following rules apply, you can include a fast attack unit, but only if it's a chaos spawn, uh, no more. You can't have more cultists than corn berserkers. And when forming boarding squads, do not split cultists into separate units. They stay in units of 10. Um, so I, I do love that they call out the fast attack thing as if world eaters had any other fast attack options. <laughs> right. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and then when you are playing uh, world eaters, um, Karn the Betrayer's the Betrayer ability only affects at friendly units that are visible to him. So if you can hide around a, wall, a corner from Karn, he won't accidentally kill you. Checks out. No. <laughs> um, each time a unit from your army is destroyed, you gain a blood, blood tithe point. So it makes me think that the blood tithe points are not scored by other units, like enemy units dying. I'm not sure. Or maybe it's just stripped down, like, because nor, like, would you still yeah. get a blood tithe point if a character died? Like, because. Yeah, let me, let me pull up the codex and see how that's different. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that's. Yeah. It just, yeah, it seemed like an odd... Yeah, because I was looking at it, because the way the Blood Tithe is written in the Codex, uh, every time a unit from your army has... uh, If every unit in your army has a World Leader's keyword, you gain Blood Tithe points over the course of the battles. Describe below, keep a total of your your Blood Tithe points. Each time a unit is destroyed, you gain one Blood Tithe point. At the end of each phase, any character, model, monster, or vehicle that was destroyed, you gain one additional Blood Tithe at the end of the phase of any Titanic models are destroyed, you gain one additional blood tithe. So I wonder, I'd, I'd, I would interested in FAQ on that, because I wonder if you only gain blood tithe points when you die. Like, obviously, the character monster vehicle Titanic like the character stuff, thing could, I guess the character could apply. still apply, but monster vehicle, those definitely won't. Titanic absolutely won't. Yeah. But I don't understand why it would limit you to when a unit yeah. from your army is destroyed instead of a unit being destroyed. I but. mean, I guess I guess the other thing I would say is if you limited it to just when your units died, although that seems still seems weird because I think you'd limit it to units you kill, it's going to cut down on the number of blood tithe points you have available and those could get really overpowered at small games really fast, I think. I guess. If you're yeah. if you're accumulating them like very quickly, but also that seems like not the right way to do it. It seems like you should do it based off what they kill. So right. I don't know that I would be interested in some FAQ on that. Cause that, that's a good point. I, I, yeah. Uh, and then corn berserkers lose their blood surge ability. So they won't automatically run at you if, uh, or they can't run at you if you kill one of their models with a shooting attack. That Which, makes sense. Yeah, it's fine. I'm, I'm fine for that for balance in, the, in this particular game. Especially because, like, you can't charge things that are, like, out of sight or things like that. So, mm-hmm. And then their enhancements, uh, they can take a battle lust, which every time, the first time your warlord destroys an enemy model each phase, it g- they gain a blood tithe point. So, I mean, maybe that's why, because it's really easy to, to rack up blood blood tithe points in this format yeah. with that with that particular upgrade but yeah i agree with you and faq is is necessary for explaining how this interacts 
Uh, and then something that adds to armor saves and wounds or uh, something that lets you re-roll advanced rolls and charge rolls and denies overwatch against you, which also very good. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they have six stratagems, some of them like Scorn of Sorcery we've seen before. Um, all of them cost one CP because I think this fa- format really is kind of the way it's set up is kind of capped at one CP for anything. Nothing really surprising here. One that lets you shrug off damage, one that lets you cause leadership penalties, one that lets a unit, you know, a model, a core model that dies attack in, uh, if it's an mm-hmm. engagement range. Uh, the direct approach is one of the best things I've ever seen, though. This is a fantastic stratagem. You take a Terminator or Earth or a Terminator or eight bound unit. And they can move through a closed hatchway, and that hatchway cannot be closed for the rest of the game because they just charge through it. Hey, Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they get to Kool-Aid Man through a door. I love that for them. <laughs> that is pretty great. I do love that for them. <laughs> and, and then, uh, like, Wrathful Charge, uh, you pick a non-cultist unit, and when it charges, they get to roll an extra die, discard the lowest, and uh, they can move through other models. So, uh, so yeah, I like world eaters. I think they're going to play like world eaters. And again, being able to Kool-Aid man through a door is fantastic. Like I'm not going to spend my time using an action to open up a door. That's not how we roll. Right. But I, but it also the biggest guys who could actually like Terminator should be able to push through a door like that. So I'm fine with that. 100%. Also, it's really nice to go with the, uh, the new Shoals, uh, soul shackle, uh, boarding team terrain that has like the pop-out sections <laughs> right so no i do love that for them though <laughs> yeah um chaos space marines uh again the the uh mustering rules are the same you can include a chaos spawn um you can include up to two hqs and two characters but it has to be a dark commune unit uh, you can include more cultists than core inf- than Traitor's core infantry, but no more than twice as many cultists. So you do actually get to load in with cultists. So hey, maybe this is the format where I can play my uh, my blooded, <laughs> you know, my, yeah. my traitor yeah. guard, and just have like as long as I have enough like core infantry. Like I have to like one unit of like emperor's children, and then have then I can have the rest mm-hmm. of my blooded. Um, can't include more than one unit with a Balefire Tome. Uh, possessed can only have a starting strength of five. You can't add any models to it. Uh, don't split cultist mobs. Yeah, we knew that. And accursed cultists must form boarding squads. When they do, split the units so all the mutants are one units and all the torments are in the other. Okay, fine. That makes sense. Okay, so yeah, basically they, they give you a particular... Um, enhancement and stratagem that is tied to your particular legion. They do this for Space Marines as well. Uh, I kind of like the way they did this because like they included all of the like legions that you would think of, but they also included creations of bile, red corsairs as we get into everything like, the that's Space in Marine, the codex. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they include all those too. So I, I do like that you're getting all those sub factions supported as well. So, right. Um, they talk about like the masters of duplicity trait, which I believe is alpha legion. Um, they're, like cover ability is now at six inches instead of like 12 or 18, which again makes sense for this tighter, you know, 
tighter board size and and hallways and such so I, that's good for them they also made warp time and possession have different warp charges so basically the rules shift a little bit for this different format and i i'm kind of fine with that as setting a precedent of yeah those would work really well on a big open board but in this format like warp time could be really abusive in this format because that extra movement mm-hmm. would be really sick um and so they're like yeah it's still available but it's gonna be harder to cast because Warp Charge 9 is not an easy cast. No. There are enhancements, one enhancement for each Chaos God. I'm not going to get it into them all, but uh, the the Chaos Space Marines are, like, they have seven strats, plus, like, you get one for your Legion, but four of them are tied to particular Chaos Gods, and one of them is tied to Chaos Undivided. Yeah. And, uh... They even have one shipboard insurrection. Uh, the heretic Astartes have embedded loyal cultists among the crew of the target ship. These devoted men and women know the ship intimately and are well-placed to guide their masters to its most vital areas once aboard. Use the stratagem in your movement phase when a Traitorus Astartes cultist unit from your army finishes a normal move. You can open up one hatchway that is within an inch of that unit. Your opponent cannot attempt to prevent that hatchway from opening. That's cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. And that also kind of explains why you can have twice as many cultists, because they're already on the ship, man. They're already there. <laughs> so I, I like that, again, fluff-wise. Oh, and we do have a stratagem that costs two CP if you use it on a Terminator unit. Uh, this is for a Nurgle yeah. unit. lets them shrug off wound. Or not shrug off wounds. basically gives them uh, superhuman, like transhuman physiology. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yes, there are. You get a an enhancement and a stratagem for each of the uh, each of the legions. So, for example, my my emperor's children get stimulated by pain as their upgrade. Um, for each wound the bearer is lost, add one to their attacks characteristic. So it, that's a very emperor's children thing to have. And then combat elixirs is their stratagem, which does cost two CP, and lets one of your core or character units add one to their strength characteristic when they fight and improve their weapon skill by one. So, nice. yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be good. So, yeah, definitely, definitely cover that. Uh, so, yeah. I, but, yeah, I do like that all the legions are going to play slightly differently, and that's cool. Um, Space Marines kind of get well, the same. Th- oh, go ahead. Yeah, like one one upgrade and one stratagem feels like a good place to put them because it's like, yeah, you get a little bit different, but you don't play completely different. So agree. I, I like yeah, that. no, I, I I do like this this point of uh like this feels right. Like if standard 40k had this level, this number of stratagems and, and upgrades, I think it'd be fine. Honestly, I do I think this would be enough to let these armies play differently without mm-hmm. being overly complex. Again, I'm not against the idea of stratagems. I just think they need to be kind of reeled back a bit. Um, so Space Marines, again, same mustering uh, rules we saw before, before, including calling out the fact that you can have a Lord of War unit, but only if it's a Primarch, which implies the existence of future Primarchs uh, that besides Rebute Gulliman. Um, they do allow heavy supports if the, as long as it's a Hellblaster or Eradicator squad. Um, you can have one company veterans unit if you have at least one captain. So you can do a captain and a unit of veterans, which I think is kind of cool. Um, you can have a fast attack unit, but it has to be an assault unit with no jump packs or Fenrisian wolves. Because remember, <laughs> this has to cover space wolves as well. Right. Yeah. Also, also, they can't perform actions. That's a rule that they, they do add. Is that wolves can't open doors. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say the assault Marines couldn't open doors. <laughs> I would also allow that. <laughs> uh, combat squad rule does not apply. You, you always use the boarding squads rule, which I think yeah. is kind of an interesting change for them. Uh, the same thing with chapters that they did with legions for chaos space Marines, the shadow masters chapter ta- or stealthy chapter tactics for like Raven guard work the same way as the uh, Alpha Legion one. Fenris and Wolves can't perform actions, and you lose the ability to outflank. Yes, they do only have four stratagems, including one of them being transhuman physiology, and uh, which, not surprising, only in death does duty end, which lets somebody fight after they're destroyed, but only for characters. Um, strength of the Emperor lets you add one to your strength and lets sixes automatically wound the target on hit rolls. Again, fine. And you still are going to have, like, you still have, like, your tactical doctrines. Like, that's still, like, those rules have not been changed at all. So you're still going to have that. And yes, you're, you have, gosh, so many choices. 13 sub-factions you can choose. So, for example, my Blood Angels, uh, their relic lets them have... Uh, minus one if so- to be hit by someone and the hit roll can't be re-rolled because they're agile and uh, their stratagem allows them to score additional hits on unmodified hit rolls of sixes. Uh, your Death Watch get a Light of Angels. Death, uh, they can uh, basically teleport. Uh, Death Watch model only once per battle at the start of your movement phase. The bear can use this enhancement if he does so. The bear or one friendly Death Watch unit within six inches is placed into reserves. In the reinforcement step of your next turn, the unit is placed into reserves using this enhancement. Arrives from reserves in addition to any other units. And uh, you can set that unit up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than nine inches away from enemy models. Nice. And then Brotherhood of Veterans, they do get to choose someone else's chapter tactic or successor tactic to use until the end of the turn for a particular uh, unit. So Death Watch is still going to play like Death Watch. Cool. Space Wolves can have... Space Wolves can take a Saga. <laughs> the so- They can get Saga of the Wolfkin as an aura. And a, they get a countercharge stratagem to allow a unit to heroically intervene six inches. Nice. Also, I do like the fact that you don't have to worry about vertical, <laughs> uh, vertical <laughs> heroic intervention distance in this format, which is nice. It is nice. Grey Knights, um, they can have fast attack interceptor squads. Uh, they can't include any models to ha- that have the Wisdom of the Prognosticars upgrades. Um, their interceptor squads only have a movement of six inches. They don't get their their 12-inch fly movement because they basically lo- would... Well, they don't really fly, but they lose their 12-inch movement. Um, instead, they just move six inches like they're on foot. And then once per battle, they can do their, like, teleport shunt move. There are certain psychic powers they just cannot manifest more than uh, uh, more than once per round. Uh, Fatal Precognition, Fires of Covenant, or any of the Witchfire psychic powers from the discipline, Sanctic Discipline more than once per each per battle round. Gate of Infinity has a warp charge value of 11, so you will not be teleporting <laughs> your army around the board. And Vortex of Doom has a warp charge of 10. So, again... Certain spells are way too powerful for this format. You can cast them. You can try to cast them, but it's going to be hard. Again, mm-hmm. fine with that. I think that's good. True silver armor and cybolt ammunition uh, stratagems, psychic channeling, nightly communion, strike of sacred wrath. Like nightly communion lets you 
ha- uh, get the aura from a character who is somewhere just somewhere else on the board, which is kind of cool. Yeah, which is actually really good in this format because it's not unlikely that characters and squads are going to be split up by the deployment zone since they have to deploy in those little squares. So mm. being able to like give somebody an aura across the table is pretty useful. But yeah, otherwise, like a lot of these are going to work the way their stratagems do in, in standard 40k. You do not have special rules for all the uh, the various brotherhoods. I mean, you'll have the brotherhoods when you build your army because you'll still select them when you put together your force. But they don't have their own like upgrades and stratagems. Uh, same thing for Astra Militarum, which, of course, Astra Militarum, the new ones don't really have sub-faction rules, per se. They just, you know, like you build your own regiment and there are no specific stratagems or anything. Mm-hmm. They do change the uh, the recon operators. Uh, one unit at the start of the first battle round, one unit with this regimental doctrine hat that has every model within one of your entry zones can make a normal move of up to six inches. So it keeps you from just like getting a whole bunch of free movement all over the board. Um, you lose the ability to aerial drop people in. No, you cannot drop your Tempestus out of a Valkyrie flying above the spaceship hallway. Lame. <laughs> And Psychic Maelstrom Power has a warp charge value of 8. Um, but otherwise, it looks like their order systems work exi- you know, the same way as they do before. In fact, one of the enhancements is when you select this enhance, like superior tactical training, select a type of orders, regimental or perfectus, which again, you won't have vehicle or squad, like the squadron orders, because again, no vehicles. Um, that you select one type of orders that you don't know. Now that bear knows all the orders. Tempestus has their own enhancement. And then, yeah, there's it. They have a couple of strats that affect Kasserkin or Mili- uh, one, two that affect Mil- affect Militarm Tempestus, one that affects Tempestus, or and one of those affects Kasserkin as well. Otherwise, they're like Astro Militarm Infantry Squad, Astro Militarm Corps. Uh, careful planning. Yeah, when you like when one of your officers issues an order, they can uh, issue it to any friendly platoon unit on the battlefield. So again, you can kind of box an order over, which is cool. So I, I, again, I think guard will play in, in a lot of the same ways. Although again, you won't have like your vehicles to back you up. So it's just going to be weight of uh, platoons. Mm-hmm. And then orcs, uh, orcs do not have anything for the particular orc clans. They do have special callouts for, like, in their rules adaptations. The throat slit ability that commandos units have only applies when the attacking unit is within one inch of an open hatchway or if it has used a distraction grot. <laughs> Each time an enemy unit makes a range attack that targets a unit with the tactics culture, again, the, the six inches of light cover as opposed to, like, a 12-inch or six, 18-inch. Yeah. If any of your armies from any of the units from your army have the lucky blue gets culture, instead of all infantry units with that culture gaining obsec, each infantry model in such unit counts as an additional model when determining control of an objective marker. Each time an attack is made with a tank, ha- each time an attack with made with a tank hammer misses the target, the bear is destroyed and the unit suffers D three mortal wounds. Don't use a tank hammer in close quarters. It's just a bad yeah. idea. Randomly exploding things in tight quarters is a bad idea. Who knew? <laughs> Anyone who's played Shatterrun? 
<laughs> Anyone who's had to figure out the square of the damage dice involved. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's why we don't play Shadowrun anymore. Yeah. When you deploy, uh, Gretchen get deployed with their runt herd into the same entry zone, which again, that makes sense. Yeah. Like the runt herd is pushing them around and to jump psychic power has a warp charge value of 11. Again, they don't want you generally just freely teleporting around the board. It defeats the purpose of this kind of format. And then they have six, six strats. They do have a teleporter, uh, strat or I should say teleporta, which, uh, does allow you to deep strike a unit of orcs in. Um, pile through, use the stratagem in your movement phase when a hatchway is opened or in your opponent's movement phase when a hatchway is opened until the end of the turn. Any orcs from an engagement range of one or more enemy units as a result of that hatchway being opened to count as having made a charge move this turn. You open the door. Boom. There are orcs. <laughs> I do. That tracks. I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like like I like kind of how they're they're building some of these stratagems to like work or like address the hatchways and have things work in a way that feels thematically appropriate and kind of fun on the game on the table. Like your orcs, mm-hmm. your orcs should play like orcs. The chaos forces should be able to have like chaos cultists infiltrated into crews. I like that. So I'm like I like a lot of the flavor of this as much as the the cost of it. Of, of getting into this frustrates me. The gameplay that they have, just like we talked about with boarding actions, I love the idea of this gameplay, and I think they're they're leaning into it in the right ways and trying to balance it the right way. Mm-hmm. And then we get uh, we get a set of six new missions. Um, I believe these are actually different. Yeah, these are different than the previous missions. Although the previous six missions are not listed anywhere on this, so it's like. It's interesting because it's like it's set up the same way like any like here's the rules for getting the game set up. So, yeah, it is a completely different set of missions. And I find it interesting that the boarding actions game list section in Abaddon has nine missions available. There's no overlap. But now in Angron, there are only six. And I don't know if it means there's these are supposed to be tied to the Angron like thematic, like this book, like from a narrative or thematic standpoint. Yeah. I mean, looking at the names, it does kind of seem like it's specifically like some of these are trying to like represent the, the, the events of the, of the narrative. Uh, But I think in general, it's just more like, you know, here's, here's more, here's more missions. I actually really like the, uh, power to the generators because basically you split the board in half and it's two it's one it's two different levels i think that's a really cool way to do it that yeah that one is cool like void the ship is interesting because there's actually a whole section of the board that is considered inaccessible yeah and there are airlocks you can you can open up but you can never go into those areas and Basically, the entire goal of the game is for the attacker to open up those airlocks. So the defender is trying to defend the airlocks at all costs. Yeah, I, I like the I like the missions. Like, I think there's some really interesting design in here, and I think there's really like some interesting ideas and concepts. So, mm-hmm. and then like there's like the void the ship one also has something like there's a patrol entry zone, which is a you only use this entry zone at the beginning of the game to represent like the defenders actually having a unit kind of like wandering around in a, like 
in the area where the airlocks are. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that is a nice touch. I do like that. Also, this one, th- uh, this board does add some of the pieces from, like some of the additional pieces from Gallo Dark that weren't in the board. I don't know if they're in the boarding action set. De- Dennis, you have the boarding action set. Things like the terminals, the pipes, the collapsed pipe, are those in that box? No, it is walls only. Which is why so, I kind of like the idea of that that hollow table that is in the Dark Eldar Arbites mm-hmm. set. But yeah, like this map actually has those at like built into it. So these missions assume you also have the Galadark mission, the terrain. So like Abaddon book, just the boarding actions terrain. If you have the the kill team terrain that adds these extra pieces. You had like you can use these maps, and I don't know what it how it would affect the gameplay to not have them. Like if they are they are listed as optional, and they are marked in blue. So I'm assuming you could run without them. Yeah, because basically, like looking at like for example, void the ship, which is just the first mission. There are several of those like C one, C two, C you know C four, and basically these are. Yeah, like additional like semi barriers. So like okay. it gives you a little bit of cover down a hallway or it gives you uh let's see here. Yeah, partial cover. There's one that's electro discharge. So like there's ability to do like a range attack thing. So it's like if you don't have them, they just function as normal hallways. But if you do have them, then it's like little extras. So yeah, and they okay, so they do spell out in the section on creating the battlefield. All the missions in this book support the additional terrain included in the Kill Zone Galadark set. If you have the terrain pieces from the set, you can incorporate them into the battle, and the deployment map will show how to set these up. It is important to note that all of these missions have been designed to be uh, to offer a fair and balanced and exciting experience, regardless of whether you incorporate these terrain features or not. But they can add an extra level of immersion. Okay, so I I appreciate that. The fact that they are clearly spelled out as optional pieces. They are not necessary to do these particular board layouts. If you have them, great. If not, it's fine. You you don't have to use them. I Okay, yeah. that's good. I like that. I, I am disappointed that all these missions just have the generic underdog bonus of an additional command point, which is, like, not bad, but... Yeah, it would be nice to do a little bit more with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, object pull their teeth. It's just basically there's some objectives on the board. A couple of them are marked as loaders. One is marked as a control node, and the the goal is to like see, really try to hold the command the control node as much as possible. Strong rooms has several strong rooms that are kind of blocked off. The objective markers are inside the strong rooms, and really the goal is for the defender to. There's an objective to hold the, the, so basically there's asymmetrical objectives. The attacker's objective is to control the, so control the, uh, the objective markers, which are in the strong rooms and are, that's like 45 points for each one you control. There are two objectives for the defenders. It's kill as many borders as possible. And the defenders have three entry zones and the borders, the attackers have six. <laughs> And they get one extra, one unit can be set up in each strong, strong room as well. So you can, so you have the defender entry zones and the defenders also can set up in the, in the strong rooms as well, like with one unit each. So again, uh, seeing some variety in how like deployment is used and, and kind of like asymmetrical gameplay. I, I'm liking that. That's always cool. Uh, jailbreak. 
This one, they actually have a battle report for this in the new uh, White Dwarf with World Eaters because they have Karn in a prison cell. <laughs> because How's that work bef- out for you? <laughs> yeah, not well once they get Karn out. <laughs> but before the battle, the start of the deploy army step, the attacker selects one unit from their army with a minimum point cost of 60. Uh, to be imprisoned, the imprisoned unit cannot be removed from the battlefield at any point. Unless destroyed, can't use any rule that will allow it to move through walls or terrain features while the prison cell doors uh, closed. Can't perform. They can't open the door themselves. And if there is nobody from the defender's army within what they call the guard entry zone, which is a special entry zone right in front of the prison door, and if the in, the that unit is within uh, an inch of the hatch, then they can try to force the door and bust their own way out. And so they basically have to uh, roll under their strength to get the door open. And nobody else can be set up inside the prison cell. And uh, that that one's just kind of a fun one. Like you take one of your character, like you take one of your units off the board, but maybe they can break themselves out. Otherwise, the goal is to break them out. And again, um, based on the, the number of points that are scored is based on where the imprisoned unit is with is like the most points is if they're still in prison. Like if they're not destroyed, you if they get destroyed, you actually lose points as the defender because that's not the point. Like like if they break out but you kill them, then the attacker gets 30 and you get and the defender gets 60. And like the be- the best possible score for the attacker is the unit's not in the prison cell, not destroyed and not within engagement range of anybody in the defender's army. They've gotten away, you know, free and clear. So again, I like missions with like kind of narrative, you know, with like asymmetrical objectives or like kind of a sliding scale. Yeah, power of the generators. That one is really cool because they are on on completely different uh, boards because they're on different mm-hmm. decks. And what there are basically ele- elevators that let you change between levels. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. Yeah. And then Corrupt the Machine Spirit, I believe, is the last one, which um, the goal is basically to uh, destroy the objective markers by corrupting them. And then, depending, there are four objectives, there are four abilities, and when you corrupt one of the machine spirits, you remove that objective marker, and then you can select one of them, which could be, like, you can open up to three doors and they can't ever be closed again. You or you can open or close up to three doors, or you can create cover until the start of your next phase by just venting out steam, or you can mess with the gravity and stop people from uh, setting Overwatch or setting to defend, or you can screw with the defender's ability to get command points by messing with their communications. That one seems cool just because it, re- it encourages you to do some interesting things. That one's also one where the attackers all come out in one part of the board because all their entry zones are right next to each other, whereas the defenders are all spread out. Yeah. So I, I like, again, I have nothing bad to say about the boarding action gameplay itself. Uh, and I don't think the balance between, like I said, kind of like PDF boarding like pdf boarding action armies and arcs of omen book boarding action armies will be all that widely different 
Uh, like a couple of things like Space Marines still getting transhuman physiology is a little bit of an eye roll. Uh, but uh, I imagine that by the end of book four, most, if not all the armies will be updated. And yeah. we might get a few like I'd like to see like the Inquisition stuff, maybe get an update to their data slate that adds uh, stratagems for them, because it makes sense. You should ha- be able to do an Inquisition or any like an a- yeah. Imperial agent force like that Uh, yeah and and it totally makes sense for like this size and style of game to have like you know navy breachers led by an inquisitor or something like that so yeah so yeah i'm and also because like we had that you know that mention of like hey you can't use the navy breachers as compulsory units if you're not in like an all naval army well there are no compulsory unit types in this particular format so Mm -hmm. I like, yeah, an inquisitor with some navy breachers, or like uh, an assassin and a, a cartog, like a, a rogue trader and some like voidsmen or something like that. Those all sound really cool, and I hope they do remember to add them and give them special rules like that when uh, when they finish up the boarding action stuff. Uh, I do hope they consolidate all the boarding action material down to. Um, a single book. I hope they don't get rid of it entirely. Like I would, I'd be really disappointed if they did all this. And let's say, let's say our, our idea is, is right. That this is going to be the lead into 10th edition um, with all the narrative pieces. And then when they get to 10th edition, they're like, okay, boarding action is fun. We're done. And just, yeah. you know, let it go away. I th- that would be very disappointing, but no, I, I hope. I, I think with the amount of effort they're putting into this, I, I God, I hope they're going to continue to support it. <laughs> yeah, same here. But yeah, like as far as this book, not a fan of the price point, uh, and not a fan of having a second book being required to play boarding actions for a particular army. But outside of that, outside of the financials of it, which is obviously a, a valid concern, um, love the fluff. Like the 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 storyline is very interesting. Uh, there's some big things coming. And we still don't know exactly what Vashtor's plan is other than build this damn key. Uh, I get to see Angron being being the angriest boy. Big, you know, entire crusade fleet gets damned as traitors because they act, they inadvertently fall to corn. Uh, and then uh, the boarding action, like the rules that they're doing for the, for the individual armies and making sure to like balance their abilities to fit in this format and make sure psychic powers aren't like way overtuned uh, playing around with like the hatchways and how different armies will interact with them and having some interesting mission beats as far as like the mechanics of the mission, the scoring, things like that. I'm here for all of it. I just need to actually get a boarding actions terrain set so I can play it. Yep. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, I, I think like, I mean, you guys agree. It's like, this is like, overall it's, it's really good. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I like what they're doing with this. I like, I like where the narrative is going. I like how the missions are set up. I like, you know, the, the changes, I think all the changes they're making to the, to the way you muster forces and the, like the stratagems all make sense because stratagems are not particularly a problem. They're a problem when there's too many of them. Um, and scaling everything back, I think, gives you some flexibility, but doesn't, you know, doesn't overwhelm. So, I mean, I like this. Same, same caveats as what you were saying of like, yeah, cost is a problem. Um, but there's ways to mitigate that potentially with the terrain. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm liking this. 
I'll say I'm liking this, but I think it's it's more of a piecemeal thing because you read off those missions. Those missions sound cool, but without me not having that book, I'm going to be limited to just the base missions. So I, I find it interesting that they're putting out the uh, newer missions and whatnot. And that might be where I don't want to say a problem with this one, but this seat feels a lot more narrative, so to speak. And as much time as it takes to set up the table, because um, it takes a while to slide the pieces together. I mean, some people say, oh, it doesn't take that long. It takes time, a lot more time than just tossing a building and a hill and something on a table. Um, so if there gets to be too many missions, I that definitely provides you variety, but at the same time, you if you were trying to play multiple games in a row, you would definitely have to reconfigure and that takes mm-hmm. a bit of time for sure. So yeah, um yeah, I think overall positive response to this book and although yeah, Dennis, I can definitely see your point of for you this is more a narrative book than anything, but uh but still, I think I think overall it's a good book and I'm kind of interested in seeing where the story is going. Yeah. All right. Um I think that takes us over to hobby progress. Um I have been I have been prepping uh, my workspace for the Leagues of Votan build. I've been finishing up getting some other models primed so I can kind of shelve them and get back to them once I get done with the Votan stuff. One other thing uh, that I have been working on, uh, uh, this one kind of uh, derailed my, my work process, but this one came in and I wanted to get it built and I'm hoping to have it. I, I hope by the time I can show it to you, it will be painted. But as of recording, it is built and primed and getting ready to be painted. Is um, are the uh, Sunday preview just went up for what goes up for pre-order. So by the time you hear this, this will be up for pre-order. Strike Force Agastus, the uh, the box set that includes the new Brutalis Dreadnought, the new uh, Space Marine Lieutenant. And the unfortunately designed Desolation Marines, as well as a, a unit of Heavy Intercessors, which they're fine. But uh, but no, I had to build, for my Blood Angels, I had to build that Brutalis. That was one I wanted, and when they sent it to us, I was like, yes, this one is mine. I am, I am building it and painting it. Um, and it, it, it went together pretty well, um, so I, I'm, I am digging it. They did set it up to be very poseable. In fact, there's like a couple places where like, here's the like couple of default poses, but if you were like snip off this tab here or this tab there, you can, you get more freedom of movement with like the legs and the torso. And then the arms, like the other redemptors, other than like the quick build redemptor, the arms are very poseable. Like you can, angle That's them good. up and and move, like the elbows are like they specifically like don't glue the elbows because you can position and you can pivot the arm like at the wrist and things like that it's really nice so i do like the redemptor kits i've built a couple now one quick start and one uh like full redemptor for the dark angels build we did last year and it is it's a good kit i like it and the brutalis was no exception we also get a chaos space marine boarding patrol which is um, 20 cultists, 10 legionnaires, and Abaddon. I mean, it, that's a vibe. That is which, a vibe. Which they had not <laughs> announced that one ahead of time. So here's another yeah. boarding patrol. Uh, and then the Tyranids boarding patrol is also uh, being 
it will be up for pre-order next week. So, mm-hmm. but yes, I have been getting everything ready for the Votan build, and I have been building the Brutalis Dreadnought, and uh, it's a good one. I have not touched the Desolation Marines because I reject them on principle. <laughs> I haven't done a lot. Uh, I've been busy with other things the past couple of weeks, traveling for work, had some friends into town. There was the Super Bowl, so had to deal with that hangover for a couple of days. Um, I'm still working on finishing painting my Angron. I was hoping to have him ready for like the big, re- you know, release and uh, yeah, it just didn't happen. Um, and then I've been acquiring kits for the rest of my world leaders build. So building out. Some terminate some new terminators because I have to, um, and then uh, <laughs> eight bound and some berserkers and some jackals because I have a boatload of corn cultists but they don't really fit the jackal aesthetic so I'm like all right I'll just go buy some more and yeah so that's kind of what I've been doing I've been uh, acquiring stuff but I haven't uh, really done any happy progress the last two weeks. Well, I also acquired some stuff, Kevin. On my birthday, I went out to got a box of Thunderkin. So nice. now I can have two squads of them. And is I know that you guys really said, well, a, like, I mean, is that really a way to treat yourself on your birthday? Dude, like yourself more <laughs> than that. <laughs> Believe it or not, Photon are actually hard to find here. They are. In Dallas. So when I found a place that had that in a land fortress, I'm like, hmm. I decided against the land fortress because I'm like, will I ever field two? It would be cool to, I mean, but. Not if you I don't own won't. two. No, yeah. It, I don't know. If you don't I, own also, two, it precludes you from ever running two. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I've got my four Sagittars. I'll be fine with that as my, my <laughs> vehicle army. Um, and then past that, I've been starting to work on the Hearth Guard. I've got two more squads of five primed, and I'm working on painting them. And then if I get those painted and the Sagittars painted, oh, they still need to be primed, though, then I'll have my Voton army ready for my trip to KC in May. It's only February. Look at this. I'm ahead of the game for once. We'll just wave the fact that I, I, I wave the hands that I started in like October. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never tell other than all the people who are listening to the show. I promise. Oh, they should know. It takes me at least six months to a year to paint an army. <laughs> hey, but you dug in and you did it and you're, it, it looks good from what I've seen. Uh, so. I'm, I'm getting there. I still have a lot. Uh, like 50 models that need to be primed and put together and painted. Well, they might, they might sit on the shelf because since troops aren't required anymore, I might be okay with until next year when they change things up and troops are required, then I'll have to frantically put together my other 30 warriors. (laughs) (laughs) And then that takes us to the, uh, the morale phase. Um, there's a big time for TV shows, uh, like uh just finished the uh, season two of uh, Legend of Vox Machina, which has been fantastic. Um, that one's been a lot of fun. And they did announce that they're also like they're definitely greenlit for a third season. And uh, the Mighty Nine, which was the second campaign for Critical Role, is getting an animated series as well. And if it's as yep. remotely as good as Vox Machina, it'll be a treat. Vox Machina has been fantastic. Also, I've been really enjoying the season of The Bad Batch. Uh, definitely hitting some darker themes this season. They're like assassinations and betrayals and conspiracies and also the, the issue of what happens when somebody leaves your family and how do you adjust to it? And it's neat to see um, 
a lot of different uh, subjects being covered by by a Star Wars show. You know, it's nice. To, you can tell mm-hmm. a lot of stories in Star Wars. And then this is all gearing up for March 1st, which is the start of season three of Mandalorian, which I know a lot of people are looking forward to as well. And I will just say as well, like, I, unfortunately, I've only gotten the chance to watch the first episode, but uh, the Last of Us series on HBO is, I think it's about halfway through its season right now, and the first episode was was awesome. Like, it is, and everything I've heard talking to people that have played the games and, you know, watched the other episodes, like, no, they've, it is one of the best video game adaptations uh, that's been done. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, to getting a chance to sit down and watch the rest of it. That might actually be what I do this weekend since I don't have to work on Monday, uh, is kind of get caught up on that. Cause that, that show is what I've seen so far is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about it, especially like episode three, epi- mm-hmm. like episodes three, four, and five are all supposed to be f- phenomenal. And yeah, uh, from from what I've heard so far, they're like, yeah, the first episode's fine. It's probably the worst episode of the series. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, this is going to be really good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I've heard it's 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 one of those adaptations where they are faithful to the overall material, but they're also willing to, like, revise the story to either tell it in a way that better fits on television. Like, for example, like there's a whole thing with like spores in the air in the game. Yep. So the characters have to wear gas masks a lot. And Pedro Pascal has already gotten an entire series where he wears a mask the whole time. And they decided they wanted to actually show his face. So they decided yep. to kind of change up that aspect of the, the fungus a bit. But, you know, it's like you can have an adaptation that is still very faithful, but also knows how to make changes to make for better storytelling uh, in, in that particular format. Yeah, that's that's the best type of adaptations. Like, if you were to just take something straight from a comic book or a video game or a novel and just tell it exactly that same way in video or TV, it doesn't always work. Like, that's not the best way to do it. You know, taking taking the, the themes and the, the central immovable kind of points of it and then recreating those and moving the rest around to fit the format produces, in my opinion, the best adaptations. Because... I always think as, as much as I enjoy the movie Watchmen, you know, Zack Snyder's Watchmen movie is pretty much like in a lot of places, a shot for shot recreation of the comics. And it's not as good as the comic, you know, it it would have it. The, the HBO Watchmen series is much better because it took those themes and adapted the themes and fit it into the world and told its own story and kind of did it in its own way in its own format. And in my opinion, that's a lot better than just a straight, you know, one-to-one adaptation. Yeah. Well, like take uh, Vox Machina, which I talked about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. They, the, you know, the, the crew of that have talked about how, you know, this is all based off of their role-playing, you know, their role-playing uh, campaign. And there were seen there, like there are entire important scenes where one or more players were gone because they're all busy voice actors. And they like a couple yeah. of them would be like off, like doing a recording d- gig and so they were, weren't were there for those scenes. So they were able to like rewrite the narrative, like, okay, let's put them back in the scene. And we won't like, we'll keep the basic feel of the scene the same, but like what would happen? How would they react to this scenario or change things up where it's like, well, yeah, the fight's still going to end the same way, but we're going to change up the action because it's more visually interesting. And sometimes the dice roll, the die rolls, sometimes they tell a good story and sometimes they just get frustrating. So let's, <laughs> let's change it to fit like the better narrative while still staying true to what happened overall. 
And also we can cut out the entire like two hour session where it was just the bookkeeping. <laughs> hey, there, yeah, there are entire episodes sometimes where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to spend like two hours at this shop and this, this throwaway NPC becomes one of the most popular characters. That actually happens with like the Mighty Nine season. There's like a character. Okay, that's awesome. Just like, yeah, like it's like a shop owner that Matt Mercer makes up named Pumat Soul who ends up just being one of the best characters and ends up like coming back later just because it's just funny how he like the how the whole thing plays out, which is so true to a D and D campaign that people would get completely <laughs> like derailed by the shopping episode, like the shopping session. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's uh. there's a lot of good entertainment coming to the small screen right now, and then of course we've got uh, Ant Man, Quantumania coming to the the big screen soon. Marvel movies starting up again. You know, life finds a way. So, um, but yeah, a lot to keep us entertained over the next few weeks. But yes, uh, when we come back in two weeks, we'll figure out what we're talking about because we still have at least two more Arcs of Omen books coming. We should theoretically be done with codexes at this point, but the narrative is going to move on. And if it is indeed the March to 10th edition, I can imagine the narrative is going to push on until summer, so we'll see what happens. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And again, no Richard today, but I'm sure he is, he is with us here in spirit. And actually, we did get a message from him that his voice is shot today, so uh, he he would not be able to talk with us even if he were. But from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, good night, good gaming, and uh, get on board, Narc. And hope it doesn't have anger on on it. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.